The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 242 for Thursday, September 11th, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, our caller number 347-324-3541. For those of you tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, MTR is rated M for mature. All right. We got a lot to discuss. We got a real busy week this week. We got UFC cards. We got the Ultimate Fighter, Raw, TNA, NXT. Lots to discuss. But before we do that, let's get into some housekeeping first. Uh, first, the big news. My Take Radio will be switching to two times a week beginning next week. Uh, September 17th at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time will be the first of two episodes of My Take Radio airing every week going forward. On Wednesday nights, we're going to be covering mixed martial arts and professional wrestling. And on Thursdays, we will be covering gaming, entertainment, and a couple of other things that may come across my desk. But we are splitting the show right down the middle going forward. Uh, the airtime will remain the same at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, but we will be splitting the content in half. So, with that in mind... A uh, couple of reasons for those of you that haven't been keeping up with the announcements. Uh, first and foremost, three, four-hour shows, just it's it's not cutting the mustard. Um, you know, it's... Uh, hold on a second. I got to communicate from Slick here. Slick, what are you talking about? I have no clue. Hold on a moment. Okay. Uh I'll I'll get into that. I'll get into that. Um anyway, as I was saying, so we are pretty much switching to this format like I said, it's just three and a half, four hour shows. Um yes, slick, I I know, I know. Um I yes. Alright, I got it. I got it. Don't don't type anything else because it, it's fucking me up. Anyway, as I was saying, switching over twice a week. Got to get it 
probably it'll probably take two weeks to get the full gist of it because it's going to be a big change. Obviously, we can't be doing um, four hour shows. It's just it's just not it's just not cutting the mustard between editing and trying to get it out in a timely fashion. It is too time consuming. Um, I got a little derailed because Slick reminded me. Yes, today is nine eleven. Obviously, uh, thirteen years after, you know, September eleventh, and I'm gonna get into that. I'm not. I'm not gonna go crazy because there's. There, I have my own thoughts on that, and I'll get into that momentarily. Anyway, um, as I said, mark it down on your calendars twice a week going forward, uh, starting next week, and probably that's gonna be the schedule for the foreseeable future, unless something changes and we decide to go earlier, which as of right now is not the idea. I know a couple of people have reached out and they're kind of glad that we're switching to twice a week. Obviously, the four hour shows for those that are listening to the show via commute uh, on their commute, excuse me, are pretty much overjoyed. A lot of them are saying, hey, you know, I got a, an hour commute, a 90 minute commute, and it's great that I'm able to, to split up the show this way, et cetera, et cetera. For me personally, um, like I said, I hope that it will decrease the workload, allow us to be more productive and um give you guys just a better quality of show now the reason why i'm doing it wednesday and thursday versus thursday and friday is a couple of reasons uh most mma events occur uh friday saturday occasionally sunday then of course we got raw monday any smackdown spoilers on tuesday tna on wednesday and as much as i'd like to cover nxt um you know tonight will be one of the few nights where i'll get to discuss it but in any event you know, NXT will be discussed tonight, but going forward, I'll try and get some stuff in depending on the, uh, show load for the Thursdays. We'll throw some NXT stuff in there, but it's not a hundred percent sure. I'm going to try and stick to it, doing it wrestling and MMA, uh, Wednesdays and gaming and entertainment Thursdays. As always, um, if we have guests and stuff like that, things will change. Now, for those of you that had asked, about brawling for boobies. I got a message about that earlier this morning, and I want to mention that. Um, not sure I'm going to do it this year. Uh, I know one of one of the listeners reached out about doing the, um, you know, the the charity event, uh, and it's it's one of those things where the first year was incredibly successful, the second year not so much, and it actually just soured me a little bit on the whole thing, just because we put a lot of work into it. It's a very near and dear subject to me and to see it just not delivering on its full potential is it's disheartening. It's frustrating. And then it just makes me mad at you guys. And um, I don't want to do that. I got to try and not come on here and yell at you guys a lot. But, um, you know, as of right now, it is pretty much a a certainty that it's not going to be done. But things will change. Things may change. But for right now, we're not going to do it this year. Uh, just trying to get all the moving parts together is incredibly difficult. Uh, and between managing the two sites, growing RageWorks, which I'm going to discuss in a moment, I don't think it just affords the right amount of time. Plus, uh, the contact that we had at Coleman for the Cure, she retired. So I'm dealing with some new people, and they're very, they're very good people, very understanding of what we're trying to do. But it's just um, we we don't have the same leeway. Uh, to try and organize the event and it's just a little bit more cumbersome so as of right now it's not going to happen should it change i will definitely let you guys know all right so 
as Slick brought to my attention, and I'm sure you've seen it on every piece of social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., etc. Obviously, today is 9-11. If you are a New York City resident, uh, today resonates with many of you. Uh, I know people that have lost significant others, family members, etc., uh, on this tragic day, and I could I could come on here and talk about all the stuff that you've you know you've experienced, how it was that day. But we know what day it is, we know what the deal is, and between social media, the news, and everything else that is just constantly trying to remind people of this tragedy, instead of helping people become stronger for it, I just wanted to acknowledge it in my own way. Not to say that. It didn't affect us here, you know, especially, you know, in my household and people that we knew and and just the overall environment. But I think that we're trying to go a little bit not lighthearted, but just realistic. And I I get bummed out because it's like anything else, like Veterans Day, Labor Day, um, anything that involves social consciousness um, even even this Ray Rice situation, which I'm going to I'm going to acknowledge it um, because I, I want to share my thoughts on it. It's it's one of those things where we should remember this stuff all the time. Uh, September 11th. Yes. You know, September 11th comes. We mark it down. We remember it. Everybody changes their pictures and and all this stuff. And it's a social consciousness. Um, you know, it, it's good for 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 the social good. And it, and that's fantastic. But we got to be we got to be realistic. We got to be vigilant. Uh, this shit can still happen. It can happen today. It could happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. So just because we got a brand new shiny building in the middle of New York City and a beautiful memorial, it doesn't mean that for the people that go there every day, uh, they remember what happened just today. For many of them, they remember it every day. And as such, I say that in this instance, we really got to be aware that this shit can go down even now people think they walk around all safe and secure thinking that you know just because you know the threat level is orange or green or blue and you know we got the pat down and the x-ray machine and it can still happen it can still happen we can get a we can get another boston we can get another new york city uh we can get an oklahoma city uh you know people don't people don't pay attention to that stuff because a lot of people live in their own bubble for the moment but we, we got to be vigilant all the time. Don't don't be vigilant just today. And above above all, don't don't look at somebody who's of, of Arab descent or, or a Sikh and, and look at them in a dismissive manner like it's their fault that that what happened happened. Uh, real evil people do real evil things. And, you know, for for that, not everybody should suffer for it. And that's pretty much where I stand on that. For those of you that are uh, personally affected I, you know, I, I share my, my sympathies with you. And for those of us that were affected as well, you know, it's, it's not easy, but don't, don't sleep, don't trip. Don't think that, um, everything is hunky dory cause the shit ain't, it definitely is not. So, um, with that said, I do want to share my thoughts on the, uh, on the Ray Rice situation. I want to kind of get that out there. Uh, a couple of people have been talking about it. It's been huge. Uh, a lot of a lot of social media buzz. A lot of people uh, wanting to be heroes. Um, but here's the funny thing with that: this guy, for those of you that don't know, Ray Rice uh, played for the Baltimore Ravens and pretty much proceeded uh, a couple of months back to punch his wife in the face and knock her unconscious and drag her out of an elevator. Uh, 
the video made its way through various outlets at the time we saw it, but many of us didn't see the full story. So, uh, you know, the, the champions of social, of social good that are TMZ got the full video, released it, and the guy was going to get a two-game suspension, now suspended indefinitely, etc., etc., etc. And, of course, everyone comes out of the woodwork trying to be uh, socially conscious and share their, their opinions on the matter. And I, I particularly Twitter, just because people can pretty much go out there, yell into the cloud, and hopefully someone listens. But a couple of things. First off, uh, for those of you that don't know, his wife, who he assaulted, uh, it, well, his fiance, who he assaulted, ended up becoming his wife. And a um, couple of interesting narratives I've heard about that from different people. Some people feel that she married him for the money, and... Um, you know, she figured she'd hang it, she'd hang in there and he'd make the money off the NFL. And then if something happened, she'd get paid again, speculation, lots of hearsay, but here's where I stand on the matter. Uh, what the guy did, regardless of what environment you grew up in is terrible. It is reprehensible. It is disgusting. It is something that you just shouldn't do. Like, no, I don't, you know, it doesn't even matter that the guy's an NFL player and he, and he cracked his wife in the face it's just the fact that, you know, if, if you grew up uh, old school, you know that you're not supposed to hit a woman. And it's funny because everybody's like, yeah, well, you know, if she if she if, if a chick pulls a gun out on you or something like that, then you got to defend yourself. Yes, that's different. This is not the case. This is a guy pretty much slugging his wife, dragging her unconscious out of the elevator. And then everybody coming out of the woodwork, um, sharing their two cents. What the guy did was reprehensible. But I'll be honest, there are guys that play in the National Football League that have done worse, worse. I mean, Ray Lewis killed somebody. Let's not play it off. Just because you say a couple of Hail Marys and you praise Jesus a couple of times on the field doesn't erase the fact that you killed somebody. You did. Everybody forgives and forgets. You know, had you suspended the guy a year like you're supposed to or two years or whatever, but no, you're going to give them two days. And then once everybody gets all bent out of shape, then you become a reactionary and everybody gets all crazy. What the guy did was reprehensible. His punishment definitely should have been severe. But the problem is that everybody jumped in and started, you know, sharing their opinion without getting all the fact. Um, see, I like what Jay Santi just shared. 59 cases of domestic violence in the NFL. And not to mention, look at Michael Vick. Michael Vick ran a dogfighting ring, went to jail, served his time, came out of jail, plays in the NFL. Now, regardless of whether you want to equate a human and a dog to the same thing or not, that's, that's not my opinion. But the fact is that that guy went in, served his time, continues to get crucified for it, but is playing. Plaxico Burris shot himself in the fucking leg because he kept the gun in his sweatpants like an asshole. Went to jail, came back, still playing. Again, this does not erase the, what the, the crime that the guy did. You know, it does not erase the crime that the guy did. I'm in no shape or form downplaying it. So before you social media zealots jump out of the woodwork, I just want to let people know that there's a lot of serious crime in sports. And you could have suspended the guy for a year initially and nobody would have batted an eyelash when 
it was found out that the NFL did see the tape or didn't see the tape, whatever the case is, had you done that instead of, oh, you're going to get a two-game suspension, that that probably would have made things go differently. I just want to let people know, put t- take a moment, absorb all the information before you start going on Twitter, going on Facebook, rattling off, because there's a lot of different factors at play. Jay just wrote, uh, 23 cases of violent criminal acts, including assault, battery, attempted murder in the NFL. See, Jay, Jay is cranking out the statistics. I just, like I said, I wanted to share my thoughts on it. What the guy did was reprehensible, appalling, disgusting, and just a, a total act of cowardice. But the punishment should have been severe at the beginning, not reactionary, and definitely not in the sense that all of a sudden everybody wants to be a champion of social good. I mean, the guy's wife went on to, on, a, on, a, on a rant about how all oh, my life is ruined, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was a terrible time. We've moved past it. And that's fine. You know, whether whether you've moved past it or not, a crime was committed and the guy should have been held accountable from the start. Two game suspension, not happening. And I, I'm curious and I want to ask Jay. Jay, if if that guy would have got a one year suspension, would the out would the outcry have been at the same level that it is now? And I'm curious. I'm curious to see what Jay says about it. But I wanted to share my thoughts because I see a lot of guys. Um, there you go. That's exactly it. He said it. The NFL dropped the ball. You know, it's 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 crazy. But you know, I just wanted to to share my thoughts on it in this week's monologue, and I also wanted to touch on um, some stuff with Rageworks and a couple of things before we get into this week's show. So, as many of you know, and if you don't know, um, now you know, <laughs> um, we, um, ah, okay, yeah, well, what, what do we expect, Jay, from, from the No Fun League? What do we expect? <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, uh, we launched RageWorks on August 18th. For many of you that don't, for any of you that don't know, RageWorks is officially the parent company of My Take Radio, MTR Behind the Mic, Beyond the Mic, The Buried Show, and um, all our other endeavors and projects. As such, um, all the content on MyTakeRadio.com that is currently there will be um, the the final content that you will be seeing relating to anything we cover. All content, movie reviews gaming reviews, comic reviews, product reviews, news, trailers, everything everything that you need that we've that we've provided for you the last couple of years will be on Rageworks. Plain and simple. Anything related to my take radio including MTR behind the mic, beyond the mic, the buried show, anything show related, audio, video related to the to the on-air product will continue to exist on my take radio, but everything else will be on Rageworks. And I say this because I got a message on Facebook. Hey, you guys haven't been updating the fan page lately. You guys haven't updated the site. What's going on? And I had to tell people that that is what we are doing. And a lot of people, either they're not catching all the shows or they're missing the announcement. So I just wanted to put it out there. Keep it fresh in everybody's mind. Rageworks handles everything else, movie trailers, game reviews, everything else. The only thing that MyTakeRadio.com is handling is the show stuff, new episodes, video, everything else. Plus, 
All that stuff will also be on RageWorks for for RageWorks Podcast Network, which consists of all the shows that I mentioned just now. But my take radio will be at mytakeradio.com will only be the show stuff. Now, as a refresher course, RageWorks will have its own YouTube channel covering all the stuff that we usually do, our reviews and everything else. We are setting that up. Our Twitch channel for RageWorks will be active probably within the next week once we get a new logo finalized. My Take Radio TV on YouTube will get episodes of the show, and that's it. Video episodes, and that's it, and any other uh, show-related stuff. Everything else will be under RageWorks. Social media-wise, RageWorks has its own Twitter. My Take Radio has its own Twitter. My Take Radio's Twitter will be for show stuff only. Everything else, all the side commentary, all our content, everything else, RageWorks is what you're going to want to bookmark. RageWorks.net is the site. Facebook.com official RageWorks is the fan page. Um, RageWorks on YouTube. Um, official RageWorks on Pinterest and various other outlets. And if you want the full story, go on MyTakeRadio.com. There is a post called the future of MyTakeRadio.com that outlines everything. Now, the reason I say this is because our Facebook fan page currently has 3,000 fans, yet we have not cleared 100 on RageWorks. Uh, Very frustrating. So if you are on our Facebook fan page and you want to keep up with everything, make sure Facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks is where you're going to want to go. With regards to certain partnerships and stuff that we had with MyTakeRadio, those have been dissolved. As of earlier this week, not doing it anymore. Uh, very simple reason: if we're not growing together and we're just, you know, blowing smoke up each other's asses, we don't need it. Don't need it. So a lot of those relationships that we've had killed those. Put the kibosh on them. They are dead. This is a fresh start. No more fucking around. So figured for those of you that are unaware of that. Now you know that as well. All right. So what are we talking about tonight? We are going to break down the UFC card. We got some MMA news. The first episode of the brand new Ultimate Fighter Season 20. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk Monday Night Raw, TNA Impact, NXT TakeOver, the week's wrestling news. We got MPD numbers to discuss on the gaming side of things. All the gaming news for the week. Plus, we're going to get into the entertainment news. We're going to talk a little bit about Apple's announcement, which we did live blog on RageWorks this past week, and um, that and so much more. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's MMA news, shall we? My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Get the latest and greatest MMA gear, your favorite fighter tees, training gears, training masks, uh, Muay Thai shorts, you name it, they got it. Make sure to hit up MMAWarehouse.com. You can find their banners on MyTakeRadio.com as well as RageWorks. We always try to share all the discounts with you guys, so look for those banners on the site if you want to pick up some MMA gear. All right, so let's get into the UFC card from this past weekend, which was surprisingly solid. I was thoroughly impressed with UFC Fight Night 50. Um, the main card, Matt Mitrione, Derek Lewis, Joe Lazon, Michael Chiesa, 
Alistair Overeem, Ben Rothwell, and Ronaldo Jacare Souza taking on Gegard Mousasi. So I want to talk about the main card in particular um, just because there were a lot of really solid fights and Bellator had a really good outing as well. Um, I do want to talk about the Joe Lazan, Michael Chiesa fight. Um, this is one of those things that uh, a very, uh, very exciting fight had a lot of potential, had a lot of uh, had a lot of commentary going into it. Joe Lazan, of course, um, was dealing with a lot of hardship. His his, uh, his son was um, dealing with some health issues. First time back in the octagon in quite some time. Joe Lazan, of course, the leader in fight bonuses. This guy goes in there and he's ready to put ass whoopings like nobody's business. And Michael Giesa, of course, winner of the Ultimate Fighter, went in there with something to prove. Um, one thing with Joe Lazan, every fight the guy has is always exciting to watch. Every fight he has, he gives it 110%. I've always been a fan of the guy's work ethic. I mean, he's a gamer and a and a fellow geek, but he goes in there, he gets the job done, and especially with 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 a with a newborn at home, you know he's going to go in there and murder, death, kill somebody. Him and Michael Chiesa wasted no time getting into the cage, squaring off, and just beating the holy hell out of each other. Uh, Joe Lazan definitely looked real crisp. His striking was on point. Um, his jiu-jitsu game, his ground game was solid as well. Uh, we went into round two, and again, Joe Lazan definitely pressing the pace, moving forward, and all of a sudden, Michael Chiesa ate a nasty, nasty knee, and he ended up suffering a huge gash over his eyebrow. Uh, extremely, extremely big, this gash. It was probably about this thick. Uh, the doctor came in to check it out, ended up stopping the fight due to that, and the fight ended in Joe Lazan's favor with a TKO. Of course, Michael Chiesa was pissed off about it, and um, with good reason, but still, once you put it in the hands of the doctor and the doctor says you can't perform, you can't perform. Simple as that. Um, Joe Lazan, of course, captured another bonus, and we'll get into that, but overall, a very exciting fight. Michael Chiesa wants a rematch which um, Joe Lazan, he's he's past that point. You know, Michael Chase has been on social media, uh, various outlets talking about wanting a rematch. Joe Lazan's like, bro, you lost. Get the fuck over it. So a great fight ended prematurely by a very, very nasty, nasty cut. Meanwhile, on the heavyweight side of things, Matt Mitrione, who's always a very, very exciting heavyweight to watch, went in there to take on Derek Lewis, and I was thoroughly impressed with Mitrione's performance. Dude went in there and just killed Derek Lewis dead. 41 seconds in round one. Again, the heavyweights, especially guys like Matt Mitrione, no joke, waste zero time whatsoever. Now, the next fight was incredibly disheartening for me, incredibly frustrating, and without a doubt, the fight that really elicited the most anger <laughs> throughout the evening, and that's Alistair Overeem and Ben Rothwell. I would give anything for um for Ben to have been here this evening to discuss this fight. Um, Alistair Overeem coming in, lost his last three fights. Um, actually, he won one of them, I believe. I think he lost two, something like that. I think he lost two, won one, and then this fight. So let's talk about this fight. Alistair Overeem came in delivering good strikes, good power, but as usual, as soon as he started delivering solid striking, I said he's going to get caught. 
And that's what happened. Ben Rothwell landed an uppercut. Overeem was rocked, and that was it. It was it was dis, disheartening to watch. Ah, he beat Frank Mir. Thank you, Mortis. Thank you. But he lost three. Thank you very much, D. I can always count on Mortis to, to bring the stats in here. Yes. So he beat Frank Mir, lost three fights. Ben Rothwell, I'm sorry to say it. The guy is, is no disrespect to him. Alistair Overeem should not have lost to Ben Rothwell. I hate to say it, but it's true. Dude should not have lost to Ben Rothwell. Instead, he loses in devastating fashion. Now, of course, you're probably saying to yourself, oh, Alistair Overeem lost. See you in Bellator. But that is not the case, and we'll get into that later on. But, you know, it was it was crazy that Alistair Overeem came in 248 pounds, real lean, uh, against Rothwell, who was right a pound under the uh, the weight limit of 265, and he just he just got put to sleep. I was I was disgusted. I was angry. I was angry because he didn't look shitty. Overeem did not look shitty, but that that chin, holy shit, is that chin delicate as fuck? I was extremely annoyed. I'm like I'm like, dude, really? Are you fucking kidding me? You're joking. But unfortunately, that is the way the cookie crumbles or Overeem's jaw in this case. Anyway, luckily, my frustration was short as Ronaldo Jacare Souza and Gegard Mousasi gave us an amazing main event. Fantastic fight from start to finish. Jacare is on a completely different level at um in the middleweight division. The guy is a beast at 185. Gegard Mousasi is a talented super super talented individual and he really got put through the through the ringer by Ronaldo Jacare Souza and it's crazy that Jacare even got the victory with a submission via guillotine choke in four in, at four minutes thirty seconds in round three, I I really felt that the fight was going to go the full five rounds, given the fact that both guys are incredibly talented, have an incredible skill set, and just just are some of the most dangerous guys walking the planet. But the fact that Jacare went in there and took it to Gegard Mousasi in such a way that he just looked like. Like he's like like he was super comfortable fighting a guy who definitely could have taken him out if if the fight would have gone differently. I mean, Jacare had a better battle plan, and Gegard by by the third round, Musasi really had it. Almost felt like he had he had issues trying to figure out how to take the fight to Souza. Usually, Gegard Musasi works a lot of his striking. He has really good boxing, and in this case, Jacare was just the better the better middleweight. No disrespect to Musasi. Musasi's still a dangerous guy. He can still bring the fight to anyone at 185. I do feel this fight puts Jacare in title contention. If anything, it puts him maybe one fight away from a title opportunity. And I think that if he that if he gets it, we might be looking at, at our future middleweight champion right there. But overall, I felt that UFC Fight Night 50 was a tremendous card. Um, really, really great fights. Um the the thing that gets me it was competing against Bellator and I want to talk about Bellator a little bit and I'm sure I'm sure Mortis is going to get a couple of laughs. Um, the the Bellator card was surprisingly good. Um, the Bobby Lashley fight I felt was was good, but I also felt that Bobby Lashley looked lost in that fight, which is odd. You know, you're probably saying, how did he look lost? You're talking about a guy who's a massive human being, and every time he got 
dominant position, top position, you would think that he would go in there and, um, you know, use ground and pound. And instead, he was just relying on, um, he was relying on trying to get an Americana, trying to get a Kimura. Um, it, it was, it was crazy. I'm like, dude, why are you going for this arm submission? If you're a massive human being, there's no necessity for you to even be going for that when you can just ground and pound from top position and secure the victory. I mean, it it may have just been the fact that he was, he was nervous and he was trying to get a game plan, but there were ample instances where Bobby Lashley could have secured the victory, either, um, head and arm triangle, uh, you know, head and arm choke, um, he could have just gone straight ground and pound, and instead he ended up securing the victory with a rear with a rear naked, uh, much like Czech Congo did, who also had a very solid fight. Czech Congo looked really good in his fight. Um, it's funny because shortly after that, earlier this week, Bobby Lashley was saying that he wouldn't mind a fight with Czech Congo, who pretty much murdered um, Lavar Johnson. He caught a really nasty submission. And it was weird because LeVar Johnson didn't really look like he was in the fight either. And that was crazy. But the Lashley fight, I was just, I kept looking at the screen like, dude, what, what are you doing? You know, like you could beat the shit out of this guy and win. But unfortunately, that was not the case. Now, I do want to talk about uh, King Mo. The King Mo hype video was fantastic. Uh, making fun of Bjorn Rebney, calling him a dick rider. And, um... It was funny. The Dustin Jacoby fight was really good. King Mo looked good. Um, he got a really good victory in the fight. He looked, he had his his striking. He had confidence. Um, Dustin Jacoby is not a slouch. Dude is 10-3. and three. Not like he's a scrub. Not like he's a punk. But um, the thing that gets me is that King Mo is such a promising fighter, such a, a great fighter. I really hope that this is a resurgence for him. I think Mo still has a lot left in the tank. I think that he could probably become the face of the organization with the right booking and the right matches, but hopefully we'll we'll see more of Mo in a more positive light going forward. Now, let's talk about this craziness with uh, Tito Ortiz and the American psycho Stefan Bonner. So after the King Mo fight, Scott Coker's in the cage, uh, says that Tito, Stefan Bonner are squaring off November 15th, it's um, a Saturday, and I think they'll be squaring off against the UFC on pay-per-view. Stefan Bonner comes out. He's talking some shit. He brings out a guy in a, in, in a mask, in a full mask. I kid you not. Looked like something out of, out of, out of Raw. And um, the guy in the mask was a guy that Tito did wrong, who was, who was helping Stefan Bonner to, to get ready for Tito Ortiz, etc., etc., etc. This led to the most awkward pull-apart brawl that I've seen in quite some time. It felt manufactured, it felt contrived, it felt fake as fuck. Um, The thing that got me about it was that the guy under the mask was Justin McCulley. And um, yes, Mortis, it's true. Uh, Mortis said he wasn't just wearing a mask, he was wearing two masks. He was wearing an executioner-style blank face mask, and then like a plastic... um, like plastic clown mask over it was it was so awkward so fucking terrible and what got me was that um Stefan Bonner's like yeah man I feel bad for Jenna blah 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 and it was it was just so personal but so crazy now don't misunderstand I think the fight is going to be fantastic I think Stefan Bonner still has still has some gas in the tank 
Tito Ortiz, it, it's always it's always a flip of the coin with Tito. It depends which Tito shows up. Uh, Tito that's going to complain that he lost because he had his head cracked or or Tito that might have had his talent sucked out of him by Jenna Jameson or the Tito that ran through the UFC light heavyweight division in his prime. Who the fuck knows? I'm curious about the outcome of the fight, where it leads these guys and what the future holds for the winner and the loser. Um, it was funny, just like I said, because it just felt so awkward, so weird. Um, Mortis said when Justin McCulley was revealed, Bellator, Bellator fans went, who? And it's true. Like, it took me a minute to figure out who that guy was. I'm like, I've seen this guy. And obviously, when it was revealed that it was Justin McCulley, I'm like, oh, thanks. That's great. <laughs> Excuse me. It was it just it just really was it, it, it was so fake. And it's funny because Scott Coker's like, listen, I didn't know this shit was going to happen. And, you know, Stefan Bonner, he's like, hey, man, it was 100% me. I was on board with it. And, you know, we just wanted to do something cool for the fans and, you know, get into Tito's head a little bit. And sure, that, that, that definitely was successful. But everything that surrounded it was just fucking awkward. It felt like a really, really bad episode of WCW Nitro or Thursday Night Thunder. Just so phony. I'm like, why didn't you just put him in the Shockmaster mask at this point? It was it was horrible. Anyway, on the flip side, once once we got past that shitty segment, we were treated to an amazing fight between featherweight champion Pat Curran and Patricio Pitbull. It was a fantastic and phenomenal fight. Uh, Patricio Pitbull really was in another gear for this fight. Looked incredibly competitive, looked nasty, especially uh, in the later rounds. And, you know, it was weird because a lot of people were saying that that fight could have gone either way. But I think in the fifth round, Patricio was making a really good case for himself. Uh, took Pitbull down, really, I mean, um, he took Pat Curran down. And I was really, really impressed. And because of that great performance, uh, Patricio Pitbull became the brand new featherweight champion for Bellator via unanimous decision. A couple of things we can take from this is, number one, it ended in unanimous decision. These guys, even if they fought again, they'd probably give us another war. And it really redeemed uh, that Tito Ortiz segment. But overall, the Bellator card was very, very good, holding its own against UFC Fight Night 50. I do feel Scott Coker really is doing a really good job with Bellator. Uh, they have another card tomorrow night, which I'll get into. I felt that overall, both shows delivered the goods, and um, they really were a nice way to close out the week. I thought that I would I would be either really shitting on the Bellator show and cheering the UFC show or vice versa, but I was pleasantly surprised that the shows went as well as they did. So definitely props to both promotions for delivering some very, very good fights. Now, let's talk about the big one. Everyone's been talking about it. This is huge. It is the Ultimate Fighter Season 20. A champion will be crowned. Uh, the coaches, Anthony Anthony Showtime Pettis, Gilbert El Nino Melendez, they will be coaching a full season of 115-pound strawweights. Again, the winner of this show, which is essentially a tournament, will become the inaugural UFC strawweight champion. So, with that in mind, couple of things the UFC really took this season and rebuilt it they, they rebuilt the season from the ground up 
They did a really good job going to each of these ladies' training camps, really getting us some great stories, some great insight into 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 every fighter in the, on the on the show. I really felt that this was the right way to do the Ultimate Fighter. We didn't want like a five second blip about these guys. We didn't want um, you know about the about these ladies. We wanted to know more about them because it is a completely new division. And as I've said before, there is a murderer's row of dangerous women. Carla Esparza, who was the last uh, champion from Invicta, um, Felice Herrig, Rose Namajunas, uh, excuse me, Rose Namajunas, Tessia Torres, um, Beck Hyatt. I can go down the list of just dangerous, dangerous women. Angela Hill from New York City, Heather Joe Clark, Angela M- uh, Magana. Just so many great fights. But in any event. Um, the fights were done a little differently. Uh, the coaches did pick their fighters, but the matchups were done in a tournament-style format, which was very, very cool. I thought that it was a really good way to do things. And then once the, the, the fights were laid out, it was just a matter of when the fights were happening. So let's get into the teams. Team Pettis, Carla Sparza, Joanne Calderwood, uh, Aceling Daly, Justine Kish, Alex Chambers, Heather Joe Clark, Lisa Ellis, and Rhonda Marcos are on Team Pettis. Of course, Carla Esparza being the last champion of Invicta. You know she was going to get picked first on Team Melendez, Tessia Torres, Jessica Penny, Felice Herrig, Rose Namajunas, Beck Rawlings, formerly Beck Hyatt, Angela Magana, uh, Emily Peters Kagan, and Angela Hill. Now, the fights are going to be laid out as follows. Carla Esparza will be taking on Angela Hill. Joanne Calderwood would be taking on Emily Peters-Kagan. Tacia Torres took on Ronda Marcos. Uh, Jessica Penny took on Lisa Ellis. Aisling Daly is going to take on Angela Magana. Felice Herrig is going to be taking on Heather Joe Clark. Rose Namajunas will be facing Alex Chambers. And Beck Rawlings will be facing Justine Kish. So again, there's going to be two $25,000 bonuses handed out at the end of the season. And, of course, the fighter that wins the season will also get, obviously, the title and a custom Harley-Davidson. So, first fight of the of the card of the season was Tessia Torres facing against Ronda Marcos. Tessia Torres comes in undefeated 4-0, taking on Ronda Marcos, who had a record coming in of 4-1. Now, obviously, the, the, good, the funny thing was that Tessia Torres was a big favorite going in. Uh, the fight was extremely competitive between both ladies. It ended up going uh, pretty much a tie and then going into a sudden victory round three. So it was a, a crazy fight, and Ronda Marcos actually got the victory via unanimous decision, 29-28 across all the cards. Um, it, it, was, it was a tremendous fight, an amazing start to the season. This is what the ultimate fighter needed, a shot in the arm. You needed to break it down rebuild it from scratch and give us engaging personalities and and talents that weren't just in there to fight safe through the prelims and the quarterfinals and then dial it in for the season finale with a belt on the line with a level of competition is intense and it's funny because mortis says that she was tessia torres was his favorite to win it all and he goes i'm out in the first episode but you know what mortis you never know she might come back as an alternate don't sleep, man. It's only one episode. You got to let it ride. In any event, uh, Ronda Marcos, like I said, uh, takes the fight via unanimous decision. Um, like a huge upset for 
Tessia Torres. Team Pettis controls. Their next fight is going to be Joanne Calderwood taking on Emily Peters-Kagan. Joanne Calderwood has an 8-0 record against uh, Emily Peters-Kagan, who is 3-1. and um, Definitely going to be a very, very good fight. Uh, already, they're already starting to show some drama between the ladies, uh, drama with the coaches. It is going to be a tremendous season. I really felt that the UFC hit their stride. I like that they went to see the, the, the fighters at the camps, get us really, really uh, invested in their stories, where they came from, uh, what, they're, what they're looking for from the sport, what, ha- what they have to offer the sport. And it's funny because Dana White said that this season gave us a new Ronda Rousey, which is, that's, that's very big shoes to fill. It's also a very big boast, just because Ronda Rousey's in a class all her own as far as I'm concerned. But to hear something like that, it really makes me excited for the season as a whole and how it plays out. Like I said, I've watched a lot of seasons on fast forward the last couple of months, just because uh, the last couple of years, I should say, just because they're, they're not the same. They're not as engaging. You don't feel as invested in the fighters. You don't feel a connection with the fighters. What you're getting is, let me fast forward through all the bullshit, get to the fights, and then get to the finals. In addition to that, you just don't feel the connection with the coaches either. I mean, even with the Ultimate Fighter Latin America, which is Kane and Fabricio Verdum, first of all, they're they're not airing it on, on any networks. It's going to be aired on Fox Sports 1. But number two, just you want you want to give that to the people so that they can connect with fighters, especially if you're trying to get into the Latino market. You're, you want to get that out there on a, on a broader scale. Instead, it's relegated, I believe, to Fight Pass, and I think they're going to be giving it on Fox Sports 1 Deportes. I'm not 100% sure. So if that's the case, I recommend you check your cable provider. But I was thoroughly impressed with The Ultimate Fighter's first episode. It really was surprisingly good, and I, I really I can't even wait for the second episode. I'm so pumped that, that the, you know, the second episode is going to be hopefully just as good as the first. The fights were really good. And, um, you know, it's funny because Mortis uh, went to the Invicta event and, you know, the fights were were really good. I know a lot of people were pissed off because the championship fight got cut short due to UFC fight pass. But Invicta continues to deliver solid cards. The only thing that I would like for them to do is to deliver them with a bit more frequency. It felt like it was almost a year since I saw an Invicta card um, I'm glad to see that we, we got a good card, um, you know, with a karate hottie coming in there doing what she does best. And um, again, I'm, I'm glad to see Invicta getting recognized on a bigger stage. I also like that Invicta was partly responsible for this season and that they gave us such a, an incredible crop of amazing and talented female fighters. It's, it's a great time to watch The Ultimate Fighter. If you've never watched it before, do yourselves a favor. Check it out. It's really good. Really, really good. Uh, Mortis just told me that I, he believes the next Invicta event is December 6th. See, I, I mean, that three-month gap is, is it's not cool, man. Like, if you said that the next card was late October, early November, I wouldn't feel so bad. But we're in, in essence, you're, you're taking three months between cards, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people just forget that the promotion is doing what they're doing. Uh, Mortis says, you also have to remember Victor still is just a startup and didn't have the UFC funding behind them until now. This is true, but you also got to take into consideration that they're, 
that Invicta was putting on cards on a more frequent basis before the UFC got involved. I mean, don't get me wrong, their cards were having issues on on cable, I mean on not cable um iPay-per-view, but they were still putting on solid cards and it did and they weren't happening every 90 days. They were happening I not with the same frequency as the UFC, but I felt that they were getting that we were getting them more often. I understand what you're saying in the sense that the UFC's pumping a little money in there, throwing a little money behind it and giving them a platform to showcase the organization, but they were putting on fights with more frequency and even and even then with less with less of a roster. I mean, there's still there's still dozens upon dozens of women out there that that are fine tuning their skills and it, you know, they got champions, so clearly they got a decent roster, but I just feel that the frequency between fights is something that is a bit of a hindrance. Uh, more to said in the next year or two, I bet the UFC will help them out some so that they can get more cards. Um, oh, shit. Wow. All right. Maybe maybe it's just that I'm not noticing it. More to uh, brought to my attention that Invicta 1 was April 28th, 2012. Invicta 2 was July 28th, exactly 90 days. Invicta 3 was October 2012, and then Invicta 4 was January 2013. Well, shit. It felt, it really did feel like I was watching Invicta cards on a more frequent basis, but if they're every 90 days, hey, I got proven wrong. It is what it is, but still, that 90-day shit, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan, but you know, to, to give a, to give merit to what Mortis said, you know, with the UFC backing them, if they're going to get better production and, and a better crop of fighters, then fuck it. You know, 90 days, it is what it is. But I, I really feel that Invicta should be, um, I just feel their show should be a little bit more frequent, maybe, maybe a month and a half, you know, every 45 days or so, but 90 days, it's just not cool, man. That's, that's just, anyway, that's my opinion on it. Let me get into the other MMA news for the week. Uh, there's a lot to discuss. Uh, UFC 50, uh, UFC Fight Night 50 bonuses. Fight of the night, of course, went to Joe Lazon, Mike Chiesa. Big shocker there. 50 grand apiece. Performance of the night went to Jacare Souza. Again, another 50 grand. Ben Rothwell, of course. Fucking Ben Rothwell. Took 50K for his performance, and Alistair Overeem just gets laughed out of the building. But um, again, I'm, I'm a little bitter, guys. Don't mind me. Anyway, so we've all been talking about Ray Rice. We've all been talking about domestic violence. We've all been talking about domestic violence in sports. Uh, One particular story that picked up a lot of steam and all of a sudden got resolved out of nowhere was the incident involving Thiago Silva. Now, if you guys don't know, Thiago Silva is a UFC fighter who um, pretty much his wife was no longer with him and was involved with a a teacher at his school. And he showed up at the school, pointed a gun allegedly at his wife and allegedly also pointed a gun at the teacher. As it turns out, all charges against him were dropped due to the victim being uncooperative. Um, So after his arrest, Silva's contract was terminated with the UFC. Um, Dana White did say that Thiago Silva would not fight in the UFC ever again. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, that is not the case. MMA Junkie confirmed that the UFC did re-sign T- 
Thiago Silva, even though Dana White said that he would never fight in the UFC again. So, really, really crazy story. Um, Pretty much, like I said, he showed up at the school with a gun, had a four-hour standoff with the SWAT team, uh, stood da- he stood down and was taken into custody. He was charged with two counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Those charges were dropped, like I said, after prosecutors felt that Tiago Silva's wife was uncooperative and most likely had moved out of the country. So, uh, very crazy stuff. Again, uh, domestic violence in the news involving athletes, craziness. But this Tiago Silva situation particularly strange because this guy had a four-hour standoff with the SWAT team and then all of a sudden was, you know, all charges were dropped. Just think about this. You had a weapon. You had a four-hour standoff with the SWAT team, yet the charges were still dropped. Huh? (laughs) Like, like it just, it's just so crazy that, you would have that type of a situation. You would have a standoff with the SWAT team and the charges would just get swept under the rug because your wife wasn't un- un- was uncooperative. Now, even if his wife was uncooperative, you still had a standoff with the SWAT team. What the fuck is that? Last time I checked, if I had a standoff with the SWAT team, it's still a standoff with the, sw- with the SWAT team. It's craziness. But looks like you know, the justice system was a little funky with regards to that particular case. As as is the as it is, though, Tiago Silva heads back to the UFC. We'll see if he can uh, capture past glory and hopefully just stay on the straight and narrow. As it's been said, his wife allegedly headed back decided to head back to Brazil. I don't know if that was due to um, him telling her to get the fuck out of Dodge or something else, but... Because of it, like I said, charges were dismissed. So, I want to talk about Frank Mir. Um, Mortis brought him up, obviously, due to his fight with Alistair Overeem. It seems that Frank Mir, in an interview he did with Globo recently, acknowledged that Antonio Nogueira challenged him to a third fight, which is insane. Uh, Frank Mir said in his interview... I know that Noguera wants to wants to have his last fight against me. I have no problem accepting this bout, but the UFC would have to agree. Some people would say that I already won twice and I don't need to risk having a loss, but I won't deny this fight. I know this would this he would like to make this his last appearance in Brazil and not in the USA, and that's fine by me. I have fans in Brazil and it would not be hostile territory. So uh, very cool. Um you know, Frank Mir not giving a fuck. Hey, man, I'll fight Nagara again. And, of course, Mortis puts Mir will break his other arm. You know what's funny about that? Everybody says the same thing. But I, I feel that regardless of whether Frank Mir broke his arm, it takes a ballsy motherfucker to challenge the guy that broke your arm. And it takes an equally ballsy motherfucker to accept the fight after he broke his fucking arm. Like, you know, it's true. Frank Mir does not need to take that fight. But this is, you know, it's just it's just honor. It's just the thrill of competition. It's craziness, of course. But it, it's it, I, I respect Frank Mir because he's like, yo, man, I'll go in there. I'll give him the fight. Fuck it. You know, if it's his last fight in Brazil and he wants to give the fans something, something amazing, then I'll gladly do it. Now, obviously, the UFC might look at it and be like, you're out of your mind and it's not going to happen. I, I, I got to give respect to both guys. It's a ballsy move. It's a ballsy move for Noguera because, like I said, 
Frank Mir broke his arm. And it's a ballsy move for Frank Mir because Frank Mir has nothing to prove. Uh, Mortis adds, I like Big Nog. I will never question his courage, strength, or talent, but Mir's just a bit better. I, 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 I agree 110%. Mir is, you know what's weird with Frank Mir? He goes in there and depending, sometimes he has incredible jujitsu that just blows your mind. And other times he has this amazing stand-up. The only problem is that he doesn't use them together. It's either, oh, I'm going to do a ground fight or I'm going to do a stand-up fight. It's never a a combination of bringing both of them together. It always frustrates me because I like watching Frank Mir fight. I think Frank Mir is a talented dude, goes in there, gives it 110%. Even when he got mauled by Brock Lesnar, you know, no disrespect to Frank Mir, he, he held his own. I mean, he gave Brock Lesnar his first loss, you know, by using uh, the, the ankle pick uh, to welcome Brock Lesnar into the UFC. So, again, it doesn't it doesn't matter so much as it's an incredibly ballsy thing from both guys. So, much respect to, to Nog for that. All right, so let's get into UFC Fight Night 51, which is going to be happening in Brazil this weekend. Uh, great fight. It's going to be on UFC Fight Pass at 8 p.m. Eastern. Andre Arlovsky is going to be taking on um, Antonio Bigfoot Silva, which is going to be a crazy fight. Uh, hopefully, Arlovsky is no longer the glass-jawed guy that I thought he was and will go in there and put Antonio Bigfoot Silva to sleep. We'll see if that's the case. Uh, Pieter Hallman will be taking on Gleison Tebow. Efrain Escudero returns to the UFC. He'll be taking on Leonardo Santos. Wendell Oliveira is going to be taking on Santiago. Wow, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. Santiago Ponzibibio. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I probably bludgeon that poor guy's name. Um, Yuri Alcantara is gonna be taking on Russell Doan, and Jessica Andrade is gonna be taking on Larissa Pacheco. And again, UFC Fight Pass for that, and the prelims will be on Fight Pass as well. Those begin at 5:45. Anderson Silva is in the news this week, and I am counting down the days for Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz to square off in the octagon, but. Uh, he did a very interesting interview, and he was talking about that he needed to see a sports psychologist because he was feeling a lot of apprehension about throwing leg kicks. It was it was crazy. He said, I worked with a psychologist so I can get rid of the ghosts of those horrible moments of that fight. When I had that accident, I was a little apprehensive in training, and I know I can execute the movement, but I end up not doing it due to fear. I won't get hurt. I know I won't get hurt, but fear is natural. I don't want to feel that pain ever again. No way. And you know, it's funny hearing that because a lot of people don't put a lot of merit into sports psychologists, but sports psychologists have have been beneficial to countless athletes due to instances, whether it's overcoming injury or just having the right psychology to be in the game. And for Anderson Silva to admit to that is really just a testament to the level of competitor he is because the leg break that he suffered was incredibly brutal and it's something that MMA fans will never forget. And to to hear him just humble himself and talk about that he he sat down with a sports psychologist and that, you know, he was hesitant about about doing all that, it just shows that even the most elite level athletes require a certain level of guidance and a certain level of skill to return to to proper form. And, and, you know, it makes me happy to hear that just because at this point we're getting an Anderson Silva that is in essence at a hundred percent facing a guy like Nick Diaz, who is always ready to fight. And it just gives, it just gives me a lot of, it makes me happy because I know that we're going to get probably one of the best fights 
from both of these guys. And whether Anderson Silva goes into the sunset after this fight or not, I think that the fight with Nick Diaz is going to be a fight that many of us will never forget. On the subject of uh, promising welterweights, I got to talk about Ben Askren this week. Uh, The funky one, of course, was uh, dominating in Bellator, left Bellator, went to 1FC, recently did an interview with Inside MMA, and just had a very, very awkward and tense exchange with uh, Boss Rutten and Kenny Rice, and it pretty much led to him being abruptly cut off. Um, it led to apologies from the president of Access TV, et cetera, et cetera. Just a crazy, crazy situation. Um, ben Askren is incredibly talented, regardless of whether you think he's boring or not. The guy has an, an, an amazing record, an incredible work ethic, and nobody's been able to beat him. So whether you love him or hate him, you have to acknowledge his talent. In any event, the event, you know, the incident that happened on Inside MMA was incredibly awkward. And it just was bad for all parties involved. Even Kenny Rice and Boss, as much as I love those guys, I mean, Boss is my dude. I just felt that the entire situation could have been handled better. I do feel that, you know, Ben Askren is in a very unique place because this is a guy who's considered pound for pound, but one of the best welterweights on the planet, but yet is not a guy that's pursued actively by the UFC, even though... He is one of the most dangerous guys on the planet. It's just very crazy because the guy is super outspoken and he's ready at the drop of a hat to verbally give you the business if you talk negatively about his fighting style or the way he approaches fights. You know, the guy is is an enigma. He is an enigma in every sense of the word. Like I said, super competitive, incredibly dangerous, and I'm sure he'll end up in the UFC, but I think that there's going to be a very long courtship for both parties, just because Ben Askren is so outspoken, but the incident on Inside MMA was definitely not Inside MMA's best moment. All right, so I want to switch gears, talk about some fight cards that are coming together. Uh, UFC 181 is going down December 6th. Of course, Chris Weidman will be defending his middleweight title against Vitor Belfort, and also on that card, Anthony Showtime Pettis will be defending his lightweight title against El Nino Gilbert Melendez. Also on that card recently added, Travis Brown and Brendan Schaub as well. Again, this card is still coming together, and it goes down December 6th. All right, so we got to talk a little bit about Bellator 128, which um, is happening September 26th. Uh, Alexander Schlemenko will be defending his belt against Brandon Halsey. Uh, Marcin Held will be taking on uh, Patricio Pitbull's brother, Patricky. Uh, Bubba Jenkins will be taking on Alejandro Villalobos. And Mike Richmond will be taking on Ed West. Again, Bellator pacing themselves, giving us good fights, good title fights. Um, Alexander Schlemenko, even if he lost to Tito Ortiz, is still a dangerous, dangerous dude. And I think his fight with Brandon Halsey is going to be another solid performance for the Bellator organization. I am looking forward to it. Mark that down on your calendars, September 26th. If you ever need some reminders, you can always go to RageWorks. We have an event calendar right in the corner in the sidebar showing all the upcoming events. And you can see we, we're putting game re, uh, game releases, movie releases, uh, season premieres, MMA events, uh, WWE pay-per-views. We're trying to put it in there and, and really keep it as full as possible so you guys know when you go to RageWorks, you scroll to the left, you see the, the, the calendar, and you'll know what events we are looking forward to the most. Anyway, 
This Bellator card goes down September 26th on Spike TV. Of course, the prelims will be on Spike.com. Another promotion that announced a very, very solid card, World Series of Fighting, uh, Saturday, October 11th. They will be giving their card on the NBC Sports Network. Jake Shields is your main event. He will be taking on Ryan Ford. Also, Derek Memon will be taking on uh, Smelino Rama for the inaugural heavyweight title. Also, Chris Hordecki will be fighting on that card. Um, again, World Series of Fighting, solid promotion, and their event will be airing October 11th on NBC Sports. So there you have it. That is going to wrap up MMA for this week. We had some really good MMA news. I believe there is a Bellator card tomorrow. For some reason, I did not add it to my show notes, so please make sure to check your local cable provider. I believe there is a Bellator card tomorrow. If there is, I will add it to the MTR. Um, excuse me. The, I will add it to the RageWorks event calendar after the show is over. All right, so let's get into the week's wrestling. There is a lot to discuss. We had, without a doubt, an incredible week of wrestling uh, between Raw, Impact, NXT TakeOver, um, even even SmackDown, if, if you read the spoilers, looks incredibly solid. So, let's get into it, shall we? Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Save $10 on orders over $70 or more using our promo code WWESAVE10. Again, save $10 on orders over $70 or more by heading over to WWEShop.com and using our promo code WWESAVE10. Now, you can also go to RageWorks.net and MyTakeRadio.com, and we also have banners for other specials as well. But this is one promo code that we definitely love to share with you guys. So let's talk about this week's wrestling because there was it was an incredible week. Uh, Monday Monday Night Raw, the quote unquote season premiere, which is strange because obviously there's never any breaks. But WWE felt like, hey, this Raw is special. It is our season premiere. So whatever, we're gonna let it ride. Let's get to it. Of course, the big get. Jerry Springer hosting a Bella intervention, the uh, Roman Reigns Randy Orton rematch, and of course, John Cena will be in attendance. So, first match of the night Chris Jericho, Bray Wyatt, Steel Cage. Incredible match. Very happy that Bray Wyatt came out the winner in that match. Uh, Jericho and Wyatt have great chemistry together. I really feel that they complement each other well, and I think every outing Bray Wyatt has, he becomes a better performer i just continue to grow incredibly frustrated by wwe's lack of overall direction for the wyatt family as a whole i really like the psychology and him attacking chris jericho really getting that heel heat but i felt like i said that even though it was a good victory a great match it just felt hollow because once he beats chris jericho then what you know what i mean like there was like, the Wyatt family was such an enigma, something so special upon their debut, and now there's just, it's just, it's just so, I don't want to say out of touch, but it just feels like they don't know what to do with the Wyatt family, which is strange because 
in in speaking with with Josh and in speaking with some of my other, you know, in speaking with some of my other fellow wrestling fans, we all agree that the Wyatt family doesn't need titles. They just need you need to pretty much create um I don't even want to say the NWO, but you have to use that same booking mentality which is you, these guys they just want to watch the world burn. They're all about anarchy, destruction. You know, they should they could they should go out there and interrupt a tag team match just cuz they can. They should go out there and interrupt the Divas match just cuz they can. They should go out there and interrupt oh, a heavyweight title match cuz they can. No motivations, no nothing, just the desire to be disruptive, the desi- the desire to watch the world burn. And as such, you can book talent to try and stop this 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 reign of chaos that they're bringing to the overall WWE product. That's all you have to do. The motivations don't need to be titles. The motivations can just be to watch the world burn. That's it. And considering who we're dealing with, the the logic really does apply. Instead, we're just having these guys get into these meaningless feuds, and then what it does is it hurts their credibility down the road. Simple as that. Anyway, so, you know, Kane and Rollins were discussing their strategy for the evening. Enter Randy Orton, who comes in, talks his fair share of shit, decides that he wants to do something something terrible and yet memorable for the season premiere, and that is pretty much what we had to look forward to. Of course, WWE's continued insistence to remain relevant with pop culture reared its head in the next segment with The Miz, Dolph Ziggler, and Damian Sandow. Of course, the the gag was the hack celebrity photos where The Miz was pretty much made to look like a complete fool. I understand the logic and the need to be uh, culturally relevant, but a couple of things. You could have had somebody holding the camera to make it look... I mean, at the end of the day, Damien Sandow spraying the Miz's allegedly bare ass was funny, but it's like if you're going to be doing selfies or anything like that, you got to find a way to make that a little bit more amateur so that it looks that way. You know, I kind of felt that the segment was uh, just WWE's insistence on jumping on the socially relevant bandwagon, and it just, it, it was okay. It was, you know, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. I'm actually trying to see if I can pull it up because it, it was amusing, but it just felt, it. like I said, it felt amateur. I'm like, really? This is it? This is kind of stupid. Anyway, uh, of course, it ended with Damian Sandow attacking Dolph Ziggler, and of course, Damian Sandow caught an ass whooping for his trouble, and then, of course, uh, The Miz ducked an ass whooping courtesy of Dolph Ziggler. Again, not terrible, but definitely a more amateur hour segment. Anyway, so, of course, we get our obligatory Total Divas-style product placement with AJ Lee and Paige squaring off against Natalia and Rosa Mendez. Uh, The match itself was a pretty solid match. It wasn't terrible. Um, We got a very awkward tag between AJ and Paige, obviously adding to their continued dissension, and they decided we're just going to make out with the with the w with the uh, wwe divas title it was funny but um it, you know it just you're you're using uh divas matches to get over total divas instead of using divas matches to create contenders 
for your Divas Championship. So not not the best strategy, but again, the, the participants weren't terrible. And Rosa Mendez wasn't terrible in the ring. She looked all right. It was okay. But um, overall, it, it, the match could have been done differently. You could have done maybe uh, Natalia and Rosa Mendez and have them square off against somebody else, not not make it about Total Divas the entire time because that's really what it is. I felt that the AJ Lee and Paige storyline can stand on its own, and by inter- introducing something like, you know, the the Total Divas bullshit into the mix, it's not really doing them any favors because you have two incredibly competitive wrestlers in a that are pretty much saddled with uh, the promotional hype of a, of a reality show that they're not even part of. So I, I have my issues with that. Obviously, the, the first being that you're using your champion and your number one contender to angle advance a reality show. But again, you know, that's something that we can talk about at length forever. But the funny thing was, after that match, we had an incredible promo from Paul Heyman. I really felt Paul Heyman once again was at the top of his fucking game, bringing the best out of John Cena. The entire promo really was amazing. It gave me chills. I felt that, you know, John Cena and Paul Heyman have such a unique chemistry, such great storytelling. And, the, you know, Paul Heyman pretty much is telling him, Cena, you need to turn heel. You need to, you know, you need to tell these people to shut up. You need to do this. You need to do that. And a lot of people really didn't understand the logistics behind that. And it's unfortunate because there really was some brilliant, there was some brilliant mic work from both individuals. Paul Heyman just can go out there and make anything work. But the fact that he was bringing, he was bringing that raw emotion and he brought so much out of John Cena. I mean, John Cena's promos are, uh, they fall into three particular categories you know, the, the, I'm going to make fun of you category, the, I'm going to start making fun of you and become semi-serious John Cena, or the overall, I'm a badass kind of like brew Baker, but not quite John Cena promo. And you know what? Getting that level of raw emotion. I'll be honest. If you were to turn John Cena heel after night of champions and Paul Heyman had a hand in turning him heel, it would be amazing it would be an amazing display of just psychology and storytelling see I, I'm glad you got that Jay it's true it's it, I think that if you were to turn John Cena heel the catalyst definitely has to be Paul Heyman because Paul Heyman made a lot of sense in that promo he made a lot of sense in every aspect of that promo Paul Heyman made an incredible amount of sense. And I felt that the storytelling was just was just perfect. It was perfect in every in every sense. You know, I loved it. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. And again, Paul Heyman, who actually celebrates a birthday today, hence my Paul Heyman shirt. Happy birthday to the ECW Twisted Genius. Um really just brought out the best in John Cena. And a lot of people are like, you see, this is what happens when Brock Lesnar isn't there. Paul Heyman has to shoulder the load. But let's be realistic. Do we really want Brock Lesnar out there trying to cut a promo? No. Paul Heyman brings out the best in everyone that he cuts promos with and against. 
and this is the way it should be. You know, the champion just kicking back, letting his advocate do all the heavy lifting. I like it. I like the exchange with John Cena. It just worked. It really did just work, and it was it was good. I liked it. All right, so Sheamus and Seth Rollins squared off in a pretty decent match. Obviously, we are um, adding a little bit of the element of Cesaro in there, which, of course, led to Sheamus eating a curb stomp. But I'll be honest, um, I kind of felt that when you go this route, you're watering down a guy like Seth Rollins because you're showing that he always needs to win with assistance. In this case, obviously, um, it was Cesaro involving himself, but even still, I did feel that, you know, Sheamus is champion, you know, you could you could take it or leave it. I think that Cesaro should get the U.S. title. The only other guy that I can see benefiting from a U.S. title run would be Rusev because Rusev would in turn have the championship and be the hero of the Russian Federation with the U.S. championship, which would lead to some very interesting promo work from Lana because she would say that even an American can't carry the championship that is named after their country. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I mean, putting the belt on a guy like Cesaro is good, but again, I feel that the secondary titles, the U.S. title and the intercontinental title, have just become afterthoughts in the shuffle of, the tag team division and the main event roster. I mean the uh, you know the WWE World Heavyweight Title, and um, it bothers me. I really feel that the secondary title should have a lot more value, a lot more merit, and really should be the cornerstone of building potential com- uh, potential contenders for the WWE World Heavyweight Title, and also should be the cornerstone of building new stars. And this is something we've talked about at length. With Brock Lesnar being champion, you basically have Brock Lesnar, John Cena, and Randy Orton. As much as you want to try and tell people that Roman Reigns is ready for the big time and he's ready to be the face of the company, he is not. Hate to break it to you, but he's not. Instead, what's happening is we have an incredible vacuum, and I've talked about this before, the vacuum in the upper card, which is if John Cena were to take time off to rest his injuries and Brock Lesnar's your champion, Who is tuning in and who is buying tickets to see who? You're not tuning in every every night to see Randy Orton. You're not tuning in or buying tickets at Madison Square Garden to see Roman Reigns. And this, therein lies the problem. In the sense that you you have pretty much John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, everyone else. That's it. As much as I like Seth Rollins, they haven't elevated him enough to where he could be considered a credible main eventer. Dean Ambrose, they don't want to give him the ball because they're scared. All they want to do is give the ball to Roman Reigns, and I really am starting to see that the crowd is slightly not into Roman Reigns as much as they'd like. And that that reminds me of Rocky Maivia. If you remember, the blue chipper Rocky Maivia debuted on WWE programming, and these guys, uh, you know, Rocky Maivia, they tried to make him this incredible face. Everybody was supposed to love this guy. It wasn't the case. You know, Rocky sucks, Cocky Maivia, you name it, they shit on him, and then, of course, he became The Rock, he joined the nation, and then things changed completely. I almost see Roman Reigns in the same boat, except he still hasn't, he hasn't um, gone over the threshold yet 
so to speak. He's almost there. But the crowd is not, it's not the same. And this is what I said. This is the vacuum. This is the fact that you don't have a Daniel Bryan or a CM Punk or even a Chris Jericho full-time to shoulder that burden of the main event, uh, you know, the upper card. You don't got it. You know, Slick says that Neville or Sami Zayn need to move up, and I agree. I agree that either one of those guys would be a credible holder for that spot. Even in Adrian Neville's case, which leads me to the next match, which was great. It was an NXT showcase with Sami Zayn, Adrian Neville, Tyler Breeze, and Tyson Kidd. Um, It was an incredible tag match, and it pains me to say these guys went out there and pretty much stole the spotlight from every individual on that roster. I hate to say it, these four men... These four men are, 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 on, are up there with your SmackDown 6. If you guys remember that era of SmackDown, that it was Edge, Kurt Angle, uh, MVP, Matt Hardy, um, Christian, and I believe it was Eddie Guerrero at the time, and they were just running differently. And they were just running roughshod. Sami Zayn, Neville, Breeze, and Kid were were at that same level. The crowd was just so into it. I mean, as soon as Adrian Neville got the hot tag and he hit the Falcon Arrow finisher, everybody didn't know what to do with themselves. They, everybody was just like, holy shit, what did we just watch? It was amazing. It was amazing. But, again, you know, we're going to get into NXT TakeOver, but this this was a great way to not only sell the network, but allow people to see that the future of the WWE is incredibly bright. Uh, Jay says, I see it different. I think the fans are even hotter for Reigns, just need to get him better matchups. I don't know, man. It depends. Maybe it's just the crowds, because the crowd for this week was okay, but I think the crowd for last week, Roman Reigns came out, it was just like, eh. You know, like like they were cheering him, but it wasn't on the same, it wasn't on the same level. Definitely was not. Jay also mentioned the Radicals. The Radicals, when the Radicals came to WWE, it was the same thing like Zane, like Zane, Neville, Breeze, and Kid. in that those guys were just delivering awesome matches. Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, Benoit, Guerrero. They were killing it every week, whether it was against each other, whether it was um, separate. It was, it was tremendous. It was tremendous. Jay says, no one has ever seen the Red Arrow need to get on it for $9.99. And he also added that the crowds have been horrible. See what I mean? I think maybe it's just the crowds then. Because Roman Reigns, he'd come out. And I remember when the shield used to come out and that riff would hit. You'd be like, oh shit, it's about to get real. And then it's just like, eh, it's all right. You know, like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was weird. But it was, a, it was an amazing match. A, a truly amazing match. And I actually think I can... Uh, I'm going to pull up the tag team match. For those of you that have never seen um, Adrian Neville's Red Arrow finisher, I want you guys to see this because it, it, it really is a sight to see. It is a beautiful, beautiful finisher. And when executed correctly, is just no fucking joke. So check this shit out. Here's the cover by Breeze in a kick out. 
All, these guys are giving it their all right here. This is their shot yeah, great, on the big stage. Big opportunity on Monday Night Raw. We're yet to see Adrian Neville, the champion of Saints, getting worn down. And by Neville, since he has become champion, covered by Kitten to kick out. Has just reached a new level. Just virtually unstoppable. All right, so we're going to fast forward a little bit to the hot tag. Adrian Neville. This kid is amazing. The man who defies gravity. Wait until you see Adrian Neville. Let me get in there. Uh... He is chomping at the bit to get inside. <laughs> All right, so there's the hot tag for Adrian Neville. Check this out. And Neville. Oh, Neville's going up top. Wait, do you see this? Wait, do you see this, folks? If he's doing the commentary helped this. Set your DVRs. Hit record now. Neville. Ladies and gentlemen, you have yourself a bona fide star with Adrian Neville. That is the type of finish that people tune in to see. It was it was crazy. It was beautiful to watch. And this is what I'm saying. A guy like Adrian Neville, you call him up to that main roster. He's delivering that that red arrow finisher. People just lose their shit. That's what you need. That that fills that vacuum. Unfortunately, you know, they, I think they're a little scared. Plus, Adrian Neville isn't the biggest guy. But we really need to move away from the big guys and start really looking at the talented guys, which is what I like that they've been doing. You know, guys like Steen, guys like Prince Devitt, guys like Willie Mack, um, you know, all those individuals, not your stereotypical jacked super juice guys. Instead, just talented wrestlers that really go in there and get the job done. Anyway, so we got our Jerry Springer segment, which pretty much was abysmal abysmal in every sense of the word i just i was horrified i mean jerry springer got the stretcher job i don't know if that was intentional or not but it was just a a god-awful fucking segment just terrible i was just like man you could you could have done so much more with this and it just turned to shit i was horrified i truly was horrified but anyway our Next match was a tag match with Los Matadores and Goldust and Stardust. Uh, great match just to continue, just showing off uh, the continued improvement of Goldust and Stardust. And um, Stardust, everything about him is amazing. That Dark Matter finisher was really nice. Um, obviously, the match felt a bit meaningless because it was just angle advancement because you knew it was going to lead to the inevitable attack by the Usos, which it did. And... Um, like I said, just angle advancement, but a great way to showcase Gold Dust and Stardust. All right, so we got a little Adam Rose, uh, him and Titus O'Neil squared off, and we got the bunny involved, and just uh, there's a there's a rumor going around that the bunny at some point is going to be revealed to be Darren Young. I don't know how true it is. Take it with a grain of salt. Obviously, the bunny this week was a white guy because you could see the hands through the gloves and they were white or light skin. Um, in any event, I will say that if this is going to be the big reveal and it's going to be Darren Young, I mean, it's good to bring him back on television, but Adam Rose's gimmick, I just feel has run its course. I, I don't even feel the crowd is as into it as they should have been, but, um, you know, it, it, it was, it, it was what it was anyway. So the last match of the night was Randy Orton, Roman Reigns. Um, Orton and Reigns squared off in a pretty crazy match. Randy Orton went went insane, uh, had the steel cage brought down, 
And it's crazy because that steel cage was brought down so quick and fucking Seth Rollins almost got killed in the process. Nobody, very few people noticed it, but a couple of people were smart and they captured the, 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 the gif of that. And it was legitimately crazy that Seth Rollins legit almost got killed. I want to see if I can pull the match up so you guys can see the cage was coming down in such a way that it almost impaled Rollins when it came down. I'm trying to see. Let me see if it's here so you guys can check this out. Oh, no, this is after the cage came down. So, as I was saying... Let me pause that after after uh, when the cage was coming down, there were the supports that the cage fits into. And then there were uh, like these points that go into the supports. So Rollins was trying to get into the ring with a ca- with a chair and the cage, the spike on the cage was so fucking close. I, I, I literally cringed for a minute. because I said, fuck, this guy's getting impaled by the cage in the next five seconds. It was craziness. You know, it should be, it was, it was craziness, but I will, I will say that the way to close out the show was good. It kind of put Randy Orton back in the spotlight a bit. The only thing I don't like is that he, you know, uh, Kane and Seth Rollins are relegated to just being henchmen, which is weird because I think, and I don't know if you guys will agree with this. I really would like to see like Kane bring up the Ascension and maybe become their manager. I think it might be time to start phasing Kane out as a performer and start moving him maybe into a manager role with, with occasional involvement. I think that the Ascension are a great tag team, but their mic work leaves a bit to be desired. But if you pair them with a guy like Kane, the demon Kane, I think that there's, there's something there, something unique and something different. Plus it allows, you know, Kane to rest up any nagging injuries, but also allows the Ascension to be, on television and build their craft with their wrestling and not so much be pigeonholed by having to deal with delivering promos. But again, something I'd love to see, but unfortunately something we're not going to get. But in any event, I do think that when the Ascension come up to the main roster, it's going to be a different ball game. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, like I said, I really don't like Kane and Seth Rollins being, um, you know, just being lackeys. I just don't like it. I'm not a fan. Slick says he would need to be corporate Kane as their manager. This is true. You know, I, um, demon Kane, corporate Kane, you got Kane, just put that motherfucker with the Ascension and don't leave him out there too much. You know, don't, don't leave him out there too much. I think Kane's, uh, wrestling days are slowly coming to a close, especially if you're not going to do anything special with him. Don't don't waste anybody's fucking time. Put him to use either as a figurehead, as a GM, or as a manager. I think he would work well with the Ascension. And, you know, they each have something to learn from each other. I don't know. It, it's it's uh, it's weird. <laughs> uh, Mortis, I was saying that months ago for when Daniel Bryan comes back, have Kane sick the Ascension on Bryan upon his return. That is true. I got to give Mortis credit. Mortis did mention that. I do remember that. Yes, indeed. But, um, you know, that would involve angle, angle advancement, common sense, and good storytelling. And considering the pattern on Raw as of late, that's something that's few and far between. All right, so let's switch gears. Let's talk about TNA Impact. For those of you that don't know, um, either myself, our very own Jay Santee, Slick, 
Quark, Blade, depending on which one of us is around, there are live blogs for Monday Night Raw, TNA Impact, and in this case, even NXT TakeOver that you can join in and follow along on RageWorks.net. Uh, we used to do them on MyTakeRadio.com. Obviously, now we are doing on RageWorks.net. Um, myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, Jay Santi, we all try to chip in. Uh, Jay's been doing a great job handling the the Impact uh, live blogs the last couple of weeks. Impact has continued to deliver some solid matches um, week in and week out, so definitely uh, props to them for definitely stepping it up. And like I said, we did a live blog for the Apple announcement as well. I'll get into that a little bit um, during the gaming segment, but just something to keep in mind if you want to be involved with uh, RageWorks and the MTR staff in a different capacity, you can tune in for our live blogs. We also do them for pretty much every pay-per-view as well. I'm sure for Night of Champions, we'll all be involved in some capacity. Um, Like I said, Jay's been doing a great job handling TNA Impact especially with the fact that a lot of people just aren't familiar with the product. So kudos to Jay for that. As a matter of fact, let's get into TNA Impact, which I feel with the uh, this week's particular episode, they were going to be doing the debut of Sergeant Chris Melendez. And um, of course, he is a veteran per- recipient of the Purple Heart who lost his leg in the uh, conflict in Afghanistan and is now obviously a professional wrestler. Now, my, my thing with this, I think, is that I feel that they probably taped this for Impact to debut on 9-11 tonight. And due to the change with Impact moving to Wednesdays, I think that the, um, you know, the, the debut of Chris Melendez did not have the same punch it would have had had it been done today. I mean, it's weird to say, but I think that that was the intention when it was recorded. But either way, I, I mean, I got to give... TNA, all the respect in the world, um, Purple Heart recipient, uh, student at the Team 3D Academy, going in there, letting him wrestle, letting the guy live his dream. Uh, incredible, incredible moment. Uh, the crowd was really into it. The armed forces were involved. Zima Ion went in there. He he helped he helped them have a really good match, and they definitely get my respect. I felt that it was definitely um, just a really cool showing by TNA again we're not don't expect chris melendez to become tna world heavyweight champion or anything like that but i think that there's there's something unique and special about what they're doing that um that really works i really like it uh hopefully we'll continue seeing more of him and we can see him involved in meaningful angles and meaningful feuds versus somebody tearing off his prosthetic leg and beating him with it or or all the the real callous shit that they did with Zach Gowan. Hopefully they'll do something good with Chris Melendez. I think he has he has a lot to add to the equation and um hopefully it pans out. We will see what happens and we will continue to monitor it over the coming weeks. So Bobby Roode came out and got into Bobby Lashley's face. Of course, Bobby Roode will be pe- will be challenging uh, Bobby Lashley at TNA's No Surrender event since TNA no longer does pay-per-views. And um, we had a six-man tag match, MVP, Kenny King, Lashley against Samoa Joe, Bobby Roode, and Eric Young. Uh, very good match. I liked it. I liked every aspect of the match. I feel that MVP definitely continues to 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 make himself uh, a legitimate asset to TNA, whether it's his, his mic work, 
to put Lashley over or even the quality of his matches. It's just it's just tremendous. Definitely is uh, a sight to see. And hopefully they'll do something with MVP. I wouldn't be surprised if MVP is your TNA World Heavyweight Champion within with, before 2015 is out. Would not be shocked. Really, Jay? I want to see someone put him in the ankle lock. Get out of here. <laughs> Asshole. That is terrible. Anyway. So we had the Menagerie, Rebel, Nux, and Crazy Steve with the Freak, who we all know is Rob Terry, take on Jesse E, Robbie E, and Velvet Sky from the from the beautiful people. Pretty much a throwaway match. Uh, Rebel is just fucking awful in the ring. I believe she injured or broke her leg or some craziness during one of the impact tapings. I, I got nothing to say. I think it was during her first singles match. I was like, really? Really, that's what happened? I mean, she has a cool entrance and shit, but come on, guys. Come on. Um, anyway. EC3 came out, cut a promo, uh, rocking some pink pants and a uh, khaki blazer. I, I do feel that EC3 has come a long way from being Derek Bateman in um, in WWE. I feel the character is on point, the promo work is on fire, and his feud with Rhino is surprisingly good. His feud with Rhino is surprisingly good, and it's crazy because a lot of people don't give Rhino a lot of love they feel that Rhino's just, you know, the, an ECW cast off. But I feel Rhino still has something to offer. I think that he still has that intensity to, that he brings to the ring and that presence that makes people realize, holy shit, this is what ECW was all about. Rhino still embodies that. I do feel that Rhino needs a manager. He needs some sort of a manager to kind of just, just guide the character a little bit. I would give anything for Paul Heyman to have a faction of Brock Lesnar, Rhino, uh, Big E Langston, and John Cena. It would be ridiculous. And the reason I go, I went this route is because obviously he would play the Easy E to John Cena's Hulk Hogan. You'd have your 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 Intercontinental guy. You'd have your heavyweight guy with Brock Lesnar. It would it would be tremendous, tremendous. Obviously that would never happen. But I do feel that a guy like Rhino would benefit from being a Heyman guy. Obviously, they dropped the ball with Ryback, but obviously Rhino would probably fare a bit better. But again, that's just me. Anyway, let's talk about Tajiri, Austin Aries, James Storm, and the great Sonata, which was a a surprisingly solid match. I like what they did with Sonata's character. I like the great Sonata um, persona. I think it's, it's great. I like James Storm pretty much just becoming like the evil Mr. Miyagi. He's like Sensei Kreese from uh, Karate Kid, just creating an army of just crazy zombies that are going out there willing to die for the cause. I like it. I thought that the match was great. I like that James Storm utilized the beer spit to go with Sonata's mist, uh, poison mist attack. It was very cool. I liked it. I I like where they're going with it. I just hope that they do some really good feuds because Sonata by himself doesn't work. But Sonata with Storm, tremendous potential. Jay says TNA should move operations and stay in New York. I agree 100%. I think if TNA held shows at the at the uh, Hammerstein, maybe at um, Westbury Music Fair and Nassau Coliseum, they would kill it. 
They would kill it every week if they did that because you'd get those really hot New York crowds and you'd do very well with it. I mean, even if even if you couldn't do it at the Hammerstein on a regular basis, you could still do it at, at Westbury Music Fair and it would still do well. That's a great venue, uh, very great setting, great seats, and it, I think it would benefit quite a bit. I don't know about the... Um, oh, shit. We got a drop call. I almost feel that Blog Talk Radio makes it an obligatory, uh, a must to drop a call at least once a week. Anyway, as I was saying, and, and you know, I agree with what Jay's saying, just have them move locally onto the East Coast. They could get, and he said it, Philly, Long Island, Connecticut, and Jersey crowds. I agree 110%. I think they would benefit from that. Unfortunately, you know, it, it's just, uh, TNA's in such a weird, in such a weird place right now we really don't know what their tv future is and i'll get into that later on that i really would like them to succeed because they got such a really really great talent but we shall see what happens so the next match in the tag team title series was a tables match between the hardys the wolves and team 3d obviously the wolves are playing the roles of edge and christian in this particular instance but these guys every time they go out there they just have amazing matches tremendous matches obviously team 3d took the first match the hardys ended up winning the tables match which of course leads to the match at the you know the next match which is going to be a ladder match which i'm almost sure the wolves are going to win and that way all three teams will be tied at one apiece and then obviously they'll keep everybody on pins and needles to see who becomes the next tna tag team champions i will say this um the matches between these three teams the matches between these three teams are tremendous. They steal the show every time. Uh, the Wolves definitely hold their own, and it makes me just wonder what would have been had the Wolves stayed in WWE. It does definitely makes it, it does make me wonder, but I do feel that they're doing some of their best work in TNA with two legendary teams in the Hardys and Team 3D. All right, so overall impact this week was very good. A lot of great matches. Um, I really liked a lot of the stuff they did. Hopefully this wave of momentum continues. As for what happens with TNA Impact uh, with regards to their network, we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But if they continue with this, they're definitely going to get more people tuning in every week because the wrestling is good, the stories are decent, and the you know the spots and the roster are definitely very very good. I do feel their their knockouts division is still pretty solid, even though they've lost a lot of great workers. Um, you know they just got Jessica Havoc, which is which is a good add. And you know you got the beautiful beautiful people, Gail Kim, uh, Taryn Terrell. You still got Madison Rain in the mix. So not uh, not a, not a bad ladies roster for TNA. So we'll see what happens next week. I look forward to talking about it. Um, when, of course, My Take Radio starts airing Wednesday nights at 11. We will get into that. So let's get to the big one. Let's talk about NXT TakeOver, which pretty much was all hands on deck. All of us were watching it. Um, you know, Jay, Slick, uh, myself, uh, Jay and I were, were handling the live blog a little bit. And it was crazy. It got to the point where I was still in the office when they were giving it. And I started watching it on my phone. This is this is how this is how hype I was. Usually I don't throw on NXT on my phone while I'm trying to finish working because it's a bit of a distraction, but I was so hyped for this card. 
so hyped that it just needed to be done. And man, oh man, did it deliver. Let's start with that first match, Kalisto and Sin Cara, the Lucha Dragons taking on the Ascension. Of course, the NXT Tag Team titles were on the line, and holy shit, was it a great match. It was it, everything everything you wanted to see in the typical big man, little man match was there. Power spots from the Ascension and really, really fast Lucha Libre style offense from Kalisto and Sin Cara. And, and it was just a beautiful match. It ended up with Kalisto nailing the Samurai del Sol on... Uh, he ended up nailing it on one half of the Ascension. And Kalisto and Sin Cara are your new... NXT Tag Team Champions, and I think it's well-deserved. It's funny that a lot of people are like, wow, Sin Cara is a Tag Team Champion. But again, this is Hunico under the mask, who's always been an incredibly underutilized talent, and I feel that he's he's gained a second wind, and he's doing very well with Kalisto. It was a great match. I loved it. Uh, all It had all the makings of just great Tag Team Wrestling. It gave us a glimpse into the future, and with that said... We know pretty much that the Ascension are almost guaranteed to be on the main roster within the next couple of weeks. But the Ascent, we would not be seeing the last of the Ascension during the NXT program, and we'll sit, we'll we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, C.J. Parker got murder death killed by Baron Corbin, um, which was it, it was fine by me because I hate C.J. Parker. Him and Mojo Rawley are the fucking worst. Uh, they just fucking worse. I hate them. Hate I CJ Parker. I just hate because he just he he looks terrible. He looks like like just one of those guys that he he's just a, a like a like a guy who's trying to sell you his CD on the train. You know, Would you like to buy my CD of folk music? And you see the guy every day. You tell him no. You don't want to buy a stupid CD, and he still does the pitch anyway. It is. It was. It was shit. It was shit it would but whatever i mean i like i liked what they did with with uh baron corbin they wanted to get him over and it was good it was definitely solid now we had enzo amore sylvester lafort in a um hair versus hair match and it was it was pretty good i i did feel that there were you know uh you know it was it was just crazy i felt that there were certain aspects of it oh wait a minute Video took a shit. Hold on a minute, guys. (sighs) Let me go into GFQ's computer. We're just batting a thousand tonight. Thank you for that, Slick. Uh, Hold on a minute. Now I got a remote in. Uh... If you get disconnected, just connect to that one and make your video full screen on the second screen. All right, hold on a second, guys. I gotta, I gotta sit here and remote into GFQ's computer screen and see if uh, we can, we could fix that feed. Hold on a moment. Uh, oh, Christ, we were on a groove. We were really on a groove, and uh, shit just, just doesn't happen. Hold on a second. How bad is the video, guys? What do you what do I have? A blue screen?
Nothing. Oh, that's great. All right, so... uh, Thank you, Slick. Two, three... Three, Q, M, four, B. Nope, that is not the password for that. All right, let's see what we got. My apologies, guys. I apologize so much. (sighs) All right, well, here's what we're going to do. It is 1248 Eastern Standard Time. It appears that the GFQ video feed is experiencing some technical difficulties. As such, you can continue uh, listening to the show via the Mixler feed on mtrlive.com. Just scroll to the bottom, and the Mixler player is there. In any event, you can continue listening via the Mixler feed because I cannot remote into our GFQ setup to fix the video feed. I don't know if it's because the computer crapped out Or, uh, let me try this again. Let me try this again. Let's see. And the verdict is... Nope. No dice. All right, yeah, so it looks like the video feed is officially in the crapper. And uh yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's kind of that's kind of the name of the game tonight. In any event, I am recording video here on the back end on mytakeradio.com. So you guys will be able to watch the video feed that way. So for the time being, just use the Mixler feed since our video feed is essentially in the toilet. Anyway, Let's move on. We'll still make it work. Enzo Amore took on Sylvester Lafort in a hair versus hair match. I thought the mop, the the match itself was slightly sloppy. Um, there there were some sloppy spots about it. Obviously, the big payoff was Sylvester Lafort losing his hair, which did not happen. Instead, it ended up being Marcus Louis who got the a, a bucket of nair on the head, which leads to obviously him being bald. So, after that match, which was passable, it wasn't terrible, it was good filler, we got the debut of Kenta on NXT. Now, obviously, for those of you that don't know, Kenta is a world-renowned wrestler, an amazing competitor, and um, his debut his debut was great. I liked that William Regal debuted, helped him debut. Kenta cut a promo in Japanese, and of course, in English, his English is definitely improving, and he acknowledged that he will not be known as Kenta, but he will adopt the name as a tribute to one of his heroes, and that is Hideo Itami. So, obviously, the Kenta name is no more, and in NXT, he will be known as Hideo Itami going forward. Now, what I liked about this was that the Ascension came out, and at first at first glance, I said, shit, they're going to job out Kenta already, but... The Ascension came, they tried to put the beating on Kenta, Kenta came back in and just whooped their ass. It was definitely a great way to get Kenta over 
with the NXT audience. It was a really, really good uh, good debut for him, and I just expect great things from Hideo Itami, a.k.a. Kenta, going forward. It was a great debut. The crowd was electric for it. I liked the energy. I liked that everybody was so into it, and you could just see it on the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We, everybody was hype. Everybody was pumped, and it was it was well worth it. I liked what they did. Hopefully, they continue that wave of momentum, and Kenta continues to improve and develop and become an integral part, not only of the NXT roster, but of the WWE roster in the near future. Um, Jay says, uh, what I like is the reality era promo where the name change was done live, not behind the scenes. It's true. I like that. It, it really worked. And it just helped his character because it, he actually gave reasoning. He said, listen, I want to adopt this name in memory, you know, in, in tribute to one of my heroes. It worked and it was easily done. The crowd was still into it. I mean, they're still going to chant Kenta anyway, but it was it was still very, very well done. Uh, we got the, another garbage match, which was the uh, Mojo Rawley Bull Dempsey match. As much as they want to try to get both of these guys over, I'm not a fan of either guy. I don't like Mojo. I don't like Bull Dempsey. Neither one of the guys impressed me in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, they're going to try and continue to get to, to push these guys on us as best as they can. Listen, I love NXT. I love the programming. And, yeah, I don't like Mojo. I don't like CJ Parker. And I'm not sold on Bull Dempsey either because he just feels like a modern-day Brooklyn brawler. But just um, not as engaging and not as exciting, that's all. But whatever. The match was pretty much a throwaway match. It was about a minute and five seconds. Uh, Slick says, Bull needs a thigh master. I never want to have to see a man with cellulite in my face ever again. Jay adds, Mojo looks like a jacked-up Michael Rappaport. Yes, yes, he does. All right, so let's talk about the NXT uh, women's title match between Bayley and Charlotte. Um, Just a a great match between two talented individuals. I was shocked that Bayley didn't get the pinfall and that Charlotte remained champion. But either way, still a really, really good match. At the end, of course, Charlotte hitting the natural selection for the pin, very academic, a solid 10-minute match between the ladies. Uh, Sasha Banks came out, putting the putting the bad mouth to Bailey, And then, um, you know, Charlotte came in there, pulls Sasha Banks off of her. And, um, you know, it, it was weird. Obviously, triple threat program is obvious. Um, but I really liked where it's going. Bailey definitely showed that she could hang with a talented wrestler like Charlotte. I liked where they're going, and Charlotte's inevitable um, ascension to the main roster is going to happen sooner rather than later. I almost thought that they were going to put the belt on Bailey, but I wouldn't be shocked given the tonight's developments that they put the belt on Sasha Banks. I got to ask you guys, when the video feed crapped out, was it a blue screen of death on the computer? Or was it just a random blue screen? I'm curious. Um, let me know what the what the deal is with that, just so I can let them know. Oh, it was a blue screen of death. Thank you, Slick. Just because I got to let Andrew know. Um, oh, okay. That's why you typed that. Got it. Slick did type that. Uh, nice blue screen of death. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So um, if you guys are wondering, and I know some of you are, you guys know my love for Monster Energy. I am trying their exclusive Monster Energy Ultra Black. 
picked it up. It's exclusive at 7-Eleven. Not bad. Tastes a little bit like a combination of grape and blueberry. It's not bad at all. Pretty good. Thank you for that, Dark Helmet. Need another drink of this before I talk about the main event. And holy shit, was it amazing. Yeah, it's called Ultra Black Slick. I know there's a lot of jokes there. Knock yourself out. Anyway. I, I see I I knew it was coming, you son of a bitch. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the um the NXT match was tremendous. The NXT title match was tremendous. An amazing fatal four way, which really surprised me with the ending because I really thought they were gonna put the end they were gonna put the belt on either Sami Zayn or Tyler Breeze. But man oh man was I shocked that um Neville retained the belt. It was a great match, and I'm really shocked because, like I said, I thought this would be the time that Sami Zayn would get the belt and Neville would make it up to the main roster. But I don't. I don't think we've seen the last of these four guys. Um, tremendous match. Um, I smell. I, there were shades of a heel turn there for Adrian Neville, but the match itself was tremendous. It was a great way to close out NXT Takeover. And again, just the future is incredibly bright with um, you know the roster that they currently have on NXT. It is it is it is a great time to be a wrestling uh, WWE wrestling fan, especially if you're watching NXT because you know that when these guys come up to the main roster, it's only going to get better. All right, so let's talk about the week's wrestling news. Let's get into that because we got a couple of things to discuss on that front. Um, as of right now, your Night of Champions pay-per-view event is shaping up as follows you got your wwe world heavyweight title match between john cena and brock lesnar you got your tag team match between Goldust and stardust against the usos you got your ic title match between the miz and dolph ziggler cesaro and sheamus square off for your u.s title match the divas title will be contested with a triple threat match between nikki bella aj lee and Paige, which is just horrifying Rusev is going to square off against Mark Henry. Roman Reigns will be facing Seth Rollins. And get this, Chris Jericho and Randy Orton will also be squaring off as well. Um, You know, overall, I think Night of Champions is going to be surprisingly solid. Um, While we're on the subject of Night of Champions and John Cena, we actually got a listing of the John Cena Greatest Rivalries DVD and Blu-ray, which is going to be released October 14th. Uh, A couple of reasons why I want to talk about this is because it has one of my favorite matches, which was John Cena taking on Eddie Guerrero in the parking lot brawl from SmackDown. I felt that that was the match that really put them over the top, and it was tremendous. Every aspect of it was tremendous. Um, That match is included. Uh, The match before that between them on SmackDown is included. They also have, and you guys will appreciate this, the OVW championship match between the prototype and Leviathan. That obviously the prototype being John Cena and Leviathan being Batista from OVW 2002. Of course, they also added the championship last man standing match between John Cena and Batista from Extreme Rules 2010. Uh, John Cena and Shawn Michaels is on there. Uh, Both of their matches from Raw. Uh, on the second disc, they included the WWE Championship match between Cena and Orton from SummerSlam 2007. Uh, John Cena's match from JBL with JBL from WrestleMania 21. Also, uh, the You're Fired match with Chris Jericho and John Cena from Raw 2005. 
So definitely some good matches there. Um, all the matches with him and Edge. A couple of matches with him and Triple H. Obviously the match with him and The Rock from WrestleMania uh, 29. And if you're getting the Blu-ray, they also included John Cena and CM Punk from Raw November 2009. I believe that was the one with the pile driver spot. So again, if you're interested in picking that up, that's John Cena's greatest rivalries on DVD and Blu-ray. And that hits stores October 14th. So definitely check that out. I got to talk about an organization now that a lot of you guys may not be familiar with, and that is Chikara. Now, for those of you that don't know, Chikara is a very, very cool organization. They do a lot of great events. And one of the things that they do is an event called the King of Trios Tournament. You Obviously, trios being three-team uh, tag, uh, three-individual tag matches. Well, three-man tag matches. There you go. And they always impress every time. And the cool thing is that you always get some nostalgic uh triple uh you know three team uh factions that show up and get involved so it's funny because one of the teams being involved is LAX comprised of Hernandez Homicide and Chavo Guerrero they're going to be involved in the King of Trios tournament if you live in Pennsylvania you'll be able to check this out it's going to be September 19th 20th and 21st they're going to be squaring off against the following teams the Colony Extreme Force with Orbit Ant, Missile Assault Ant, and Rescue Ant. <clears throat> They're also including The Flood, which is Jimmy Jacobs, Eddie Kingston, and Volgar. Uh, the Block Party, Kazarni and his Auditorium, uh, Team Extravaganza, uh, Night Eye for the Pirate Guy, and Princess Kimberly. That is an actual team. Uh, Dr. Cube and the BDK, The Golden Trio, the Gekido, 3-Peck-O with Archibald Peck, Shane Matthews, and Scott Parker. Uh, the Devastation Corporation. Uh, the Colony, which is one of my favorite teams, which is Fire Ant, Silver Ant, and Worker Ant. Team UK, which is Damian Dunn, Patrick Dunn, Mark Andrews. The Spectral Envoy. And get this, the Spirit Squad. Yes, that Spirit Squad. The male cheerleaders, you know, Mickey, Johnny, Kenny, those guys... Well, Mickey, Mikey, excuse me, Mikey, Johnny, and Kenny of the Spirit Squad will be competing in the Chikara King of Trios tournament. Again, if you want more information, Chikara.com, C-H-I-K-A-R-A, and there the event will be happening September 19th, 20th, and 21st in Easton, PA. Definitely very, very cool. Um, also... They announced the return of their Rey de Voladores, which is the King of Flying Tournament, which they're going to start doing some of the initial matches during the King of Trios weekend. Uh, one of the first competitors announced is TNA's Tigre Uno. Definitely check it out. Like I said, the King of Trios Tournament is an extremely enjoyable tournament to watch. You can probably watch it on iPay-Per-View, or like I said, if you're in PA, you can go check it out as well. Uh, Jay added Chikara is actually a really good promotion, very kid-friendly. It's true, Chikara is is very fun. Very, very fun. All right, so I am happy to report that Jake the, Snake's, Jake the Snake is out of the hospital. He actually showed up at the Future Stars of Wrestling event. Uh, Jake Roberts is going to be uh, staying in Las Vegas while he fights cancer. He's dealing with cancer right now, and he said... In the statement that he issued during the Future Stars of Wrestling event, he said that 
If you can beat addiction, you can beat cancer. He said he'll be recovering in Las Vegas for the foreseeable future until he can recover and head back to Georgia. Uh, Definitely kudos to WWE for getting in touch with Jake the Snake's children and actually flying them out to Las Vegas so they can be with him while he was healing up from his from his issues and always and always, of course, well, to prepare for the battle that he has to face now dealing with cancer. I definitely wish Jake the Snake the best and hopefully he will make a full recovery as we hear more. Of course, we will share it with you guys. In some other WWE DVD and Blu-ray news, they will be releasing the Attitude Era Volume 2 on Blu-ray and DVD in November. Um, They're going to include, get this, the Miss Slammy Swimsuit Competition between Sonny Sable Marlena and the Funkettes. In addition to that, New Age Outlaws taking on Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie, one of my favorite matches. Also, the IC title match between The Rock and Ken Shamrock. That was from the Royal Rumble in 1998 of course stone cold steve austin versus vince mcmahon um owen hart and the legion of doom versus triple h and the new age outlaws um kane versus mankind jacqueline versus sable in a bikini contest val venus and taka michinoku versus kai and tai yes indeed uh stone cold steve austin versus ken shamrock wwe championship match from Raw, September 14th, 1998. They also got a six-man tag match, which was a number one cont- uh, six-man elimination number one contenders match for the European title. Check this out. Edge, Gangrel, D'Lo Brown, Jeff Jarrett, Draz, and Mark Merrow. Awesome. Also, a uh, WWE Championship match between The Rock and X-Pac. That was from Raw November twenty third, November twenty third, excuse me, nineteen ninety eight. This too includes the Godfather and Val Venus versus Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown from the Rock Bottom pay per view, December thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Triple H and Edge from Raw January eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. Um, the Hardcore Championship match between Hardcore Holly and Badass Billy Gunn, March fifteenth, nineteen ninety nine. The handicap match, Big Show versus Triple H and The Rock from Raw, April 15th, 1999. Uh, the IC title match between The Godfather and Goldust, April 12th, 1999. Now, here's a match that a lot of you guys are going to get tripped out for. The Hardy Boys versus Edge and Christian from Shotgun Saturday Night, April 17th, 1999. How's that? Fucking Shotgun Saturday Night. I remember watching that on Channel 55. The Rock versus The Undertaker in the casket match from Raw May 17th, 1999. Jeff Jarrett versus The Late Test from Sunday Night Heat, June 13th, 1999. The Acolytes versus Kane and X-Pac for the tag team titles. Uh, Sexual Chocolate, Mark Henry and Mae Young get a room. Raw, February 14th, 2000. Here's a match I'm really excited for, and this is what's going to get me to buy this set. Um, Chris Jericho, Kurt Angle, and Taz in a triple threat match for the European Championship. How crazy is that? That was from Raw, March 13th, 2000. You had an IC title match with Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle. Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko, Sunday Night Heat, June 18th, 2000. 
intergender tag match, The Rock and Lita versus Kurt Angle and Stephanie McMahon Helmsley. SmackDown, August 24th, 2000. Here's one Jay's going to love. Triple threat match for the women's championship, Lita, Ivory, and Jacqueline. Sunday Night Heat, September 17th, 2000. Now we're going to get into some really crazy matches. Hardcore championship match, Gerald Briscoe versus Crash Holly, the late Crash Holly. Raw, June 5th, 2000. Evening gown match for the hardcore championship, Gerald Briscoe versus Pat Patterson, King of the Ring, June 25th, 2000. (laughs) Terrible. Here's another one. Intergender tag match, The Rock and Lita versus Triple H and Trish Stratus, July 31st, 2000 edition of Raw. Now, if you pick up the Blu-ray, you're going to get some Blu-ray exclusives, including The Undertaker attending his parents' funeral from Raw 1998, April 20th. Uh, Number one contenders match for the tag team titles, The Kane and Mankind versus Owen Hart and The Rock. Golga versus Mark Marrow, I kid you not. Hardcore championship match, Al Snow taking on Road Dog. The lumberjack match between Stone Cold and The Rock. Gangrel and Christian versus Draz and Prince Albert. Sunday Night Heat, May 16th, 1999. Um, Triple H versus Mr. McMahon. SmackDown, September 16th, 1999. Mark Henry and Mae Young's double date. The, uh, the origins of the APA. And the last man standing match between Triple H and Chris Jericho from Fully Loaded, July 23rd, 2000. The Attitude Era DVD and Blu-ray is a fucking must. It is a must. This set comes out in November, so definitely keep an eye out for that. When I get the uh, official release date, I will put it in our calendar of events. And of course, I will share it with you guys on air as well. So last week, we were talking about CM Punk's lawyers sending WWE a 22-page letter over royalties that Punk is owed for using his name and likeness, especially with WWE 2K15. Well, WWE being the the bastions of diplomacy that they are, have decided that we are going to discount all of CM Punk's merchandise, including CM Punk's DVD that you can pick up for the low, low price of $2.99. In addition to that, they've dropped pretty much all his merchandise. Most of it is gone, so there you have it. So any royalties that CM Punk is entitled to are going to be practically fucking pennies. There you have it. I don't know if if this can be 100% attributed to the 22-page letter from CM Punk's lawyers, but it definitely smells that way. In any event, any CM Punk merchandise that you may have been looking for, you may possibly be able to find heavily discounted on wwe.com by the way if you do want to use our promo code it's wwe save 10 so it's been a while and it pains me to report that we we've you know we had a a loss in the professional wrestling world Um, if you guys remember during the wcw days there was an individual by the name of sean o'hare he was part of the natural born thrillers tag team alongside mark jindrak uh, he was also part of the Natural Born Thrillers faction. Later came would come to WWE and pretty much become almost like a devilish uh, persona for a limited time. And then he would be cut loose 
Uh, Sean O'Hare was one of the first wrestlers that was involved in both pro wrestling and MMA long before Brock Lesnar. Um, he actually uh, was reported to have passed away earlier this week. And TMZ reports that Sean O'Hare actually hung himself, which is crazy. Uh, Sean O'Hare was under contract with WWE from 2001 to 2004. Uh, he was 43 years old. Uh, definitely very, very heartbreaking. Um it bothers me because when we talk about professional wrestling, and Jay, you probably know about this as well, uh, whenever I t- somebody tells me, oh, ex-professional wrestler died, I usually have one of two questions. Was it drugs or was it suicide? And nine times out of ten, it's either drugs or suicide with, you know, a smaller a smaller percentage being, uh, you know, heart attacks or, or any other illnesses. And it bothers me... Um, because it's it's just such a tragic thing as a wrestling fan because you grow up you watch so many of these wrestlers these guys they're titans they're they're the pinnacle of of physical perfection they're at the top of their game and so many of these guys they either die broke incredibly injured uh dealing with medical issues i think that kamala had to have his leg amputated uh because of diabetes uh, just, just really heartbreaking stories for so many of these great and talented individuals. I mean, you look at some of these guys and you wonder where it went wrong. I mean, a lot of it obviously can be attributed to um, excessive spending, a uh, wild lifestyle. But for guys like Sean O'Hare, the guy was 43 years old. This guy was an incredible athlete, a, 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 a trained a trained fighter, and and you know, for you to hang yourself. It's it's just an incredibly scary, scary thing because the, the guy's 43 years old. It's not, you know, he had his whole life ahead of him. And, you know, it was funny because we, me and my coworkers, we were talking about uh, the passing of Robin Williams. And we said, if we can live in a world where Robin Williams can commit suicide, you know, it, it, it's that kind of a world. And it's just, it's depressing because for wrestling, it's always that. It's either one of the big three. Suicide drug overdose, or some type of a medical condition. It's not, you know, wrestler dying of old age, you know? Like, very few. I mean, uh, individuals like, you know, the fabulous Moolah, uh, Mae Young, etc., etc. You know, those are those were cut from a different cloth. But when you look at, at individuals like Crash Holly, or who, you know, he, that, that guy, he choked on his own vomit, which is just depressing. Or an individual like Chris Candido, who didn't die from a drug overdose or suicide he actually broke his leg had a blood clot that's made that made its way to his heart and killed him so you know you look at some and that's what i mean like it's a very small percentage of medically related deaths versus you know guys that that are like i said suicide or drug overdose and as a wrestling fan it's just very disheartening as soon as i hear oh ex-wrestler died i go drugs or suicide i don't ask shit else I don't like when I heard Sean O'Hare died and I said, and I read that he was 43. I knew it was either drug overdose or suicide. It's not going to be anything else. And it's disheartening. It's heartbreaking because you see something like that. And you see these guys that are, like I said, at the top of the food chain and, and for you to go out like that, like it, 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 it needs, you know, it needs some very, very, well, let me, let me put it this way. There's a very, just a deep psychological issue 
with with guys like this that are taking their lives so young. I mean, 43 years old, how bad was it? You know, WWE, they, they assist wrestlers with rehab. They assist wrestlers trying to get themselves clean. You know, there's help out there. How bad must it have been for a guy like Sean O'Hare to commit suicide? And on top of that, he hung himself, and his dad found him, which was crazy. His father discovered his body. Um, according to what TMZ said, he... Um, he had a red rope tied around his leg, and then it was tied—I mean, tied, tied around his neck—and then it was tied to a bedpost, which is crazy. And then you know, your father walks in, sees you dead. Ah, oh, it's just fucking tragic, and it's heartbreaking to boot. But you know, that's that's how it goes, man. When we report wrestling deaths, it's it's unfortunately that is the trend. Um, myself and the rest of the MTR team, we extend our condolences to Sean O'Hare's family. Um, it was very classy to hear Triple H also extend his condolences to the, to Sean O'Hare's family. A lot of wrestlers were very vocal on Twitter about working with Sean O'Hare. I mean, like I said, he was great in WCW. Even in WWE, his run was pretty good. I I just felt that he they didn't know what to do with him, and you know it was just it was just heartbreaking. It was definitely very very heartbreaking. Um, last bit of news I want to talk about is Dean Ambrose. As many of you know, Dean Ambrose is off television. He is filming a movie. Um, it appears that Dean Ambrose is scheduled to appear uh, on the September 22nd episode of Raw. Now, from what I've heard, it's been said that Dean Ambrose will be finishing the filming of his movie the weekend of Night of Champions. So I have a nagging suspicion we may get a Dean Ambrose run-in at Night of Champions and then just have him back on Raw full-time starting Monday. As you know, right now we're going to be watching that very closely, but all signs point to Dean Ambrose in involving himself in the Roman Reigns Seth Rollins match. Definitely, I, I I smell it happening, and then him just running full steam ahead starting that Monday. Of course, if we hear more, I will definitely share it with you guys. Last but not least, I got to talk about Rey Mysterio, who it's been said has undergone stem cell procedures on his knees and is said to be in very good shape. Obviously, not being on the road and not wrestling for quite a bit of time is definitely a factor in that as well, but I'm glad to see that uh, Rey Mysterio is taking care of himself. I'm sure once Rey Mysterio's contract is over, that'll be it. Who knows, maybe he'll go into the Hall of Fame, but all signs point to triple uh, to uh, Rey Mysterio heading to AAA in Mexico and making a, pr- uh, a future for himself there. Once we hear more on that, again, I will definitely share it with you guys. Mortis says he is being billed to be on the October 20th Raw in KC as well, but obviously that's a month and a half away from now. (laughs) This is true, Mortis. This is true. All right, so that last bit of news wraps up this week's wrestling segment. Let's get into some gaming news because there's quite a bit to discuss. We got some MPD numbers as well that I want to get into, so let's get that ball rolling, shall we? All right, so let's let's get the ball rolling with um, this bit of news first. Um, Saints Row's franchise developer Steve Jaros did an interview with The Escapist about the issue of sexism in video games and addressed the um, Anita Sarkissian's video of tropes and women. And the funny thing is that this particular this particular 
situation, um, Anita Sarkeesian's videos, if you haven't been watching them, are related to the way that women are misrepresented in gaming or are represented in a degrading and poor light. Now, I, I, I'd give anything to interview her um, because this this young lady has been putting out these videos for quite some time and she's acknowledging just a, a, a an issue that really is has been underlying in the gaming industry and that's just the view of of women in the in you know in the gaming circles and how they're used as um you know how they're used in games and Saints Row uh, various other games have used women poorly and it's funny because this particular uh, individual Steve Jaros he actually regrets uh, how women were depicted in Saints Row, and he went on to say that I think that we shouldn't be portraying senseless, abused women, and I think that if I could go back and hop in the time machine, I could have done things differently in the first Saints Row game. I think that there's some things Saints Row does better than other games, and I think that there are other things that we could have done better. I think that every time we've done a Saints Row game, we've gotten better at it. Jaros went on to discuss how women were depicted in Saints Row 4, saying, We never call a woman a, women, a woman a hoe in Saints Row 4. We call them sex workers. We respect that that's their position, and we don't take a cheap, sh- a cheap shot at them for it. It's a minor thing, but it's something that's the right thing to do. There's a reason that none of the Saints Row characters ever get naked. It's a conscious choice. Voila. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we try to monitor. Uh, Viola and Kiki are sex workers in Saints Row 3, but they are the most covered up characters. He went on to say, I think it's fair to be called out on your shit, and I think it's, it's a sad man that can't never be self-reflective. I think that we tried to go and carry ourselves with respect and try to respect sexuality and respect gender as much as we can, and sometimes we fail, but hopefully we'll do better and continue to get better. See, now, I'm bothered by this, not because of what he said, because I think it was a very classy thing, but like I said, Anita Sarkeesian has been doing these videos of tropes and women for quite some time, and what bothers me is that the amount of of just hatred that this young lady gets really baffles me. I mean, there are individuals that watch her videos, and they, and they genuinely write, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to rape you. Like, they're just terrible things like I'm going to kill you or I'm going to set your house on fire. And and what this does for me as an individual, it upsets me greatly because as somebody who who interacts with, with the public, even if it's in a virtual environment like this, you know, behind a camera, I still interact with, with people on a consistent basis. And it bothers me that people would would stoop to such a level. Listen. You may not agree with everything that she says, but by going on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, going to her website, sending her emails, just calling, you know, calling her vulgar names, saying terrible things, it just shows that we are an extremely, extremely group. We're an extreme group of terrible human beings. And that's not all of us. I just feel that in doing this, it just paints us in a terrible light. Listen, as a man, there are certain things that I see that it just, you know, it makes you second guess what you're playing or what medium you're consuming. But I'm also conscious of that. I'm going to give you guys a great example. As as someone who raises and deals with uh, individuals and children that are special needs, that have special needs, I personally cannot sit by in good conscience and, you know, in good conscience and watch somebody make fun of someone that has special needs. 
If you want to see me level a building and possibly set someone on fire, that would that would be it. That would be the trigger point for me. Uh, obviously, for personal reasons, raising raising individuals with special needs. But I just feel that it's just such a poor thing. Like here's a, here's a good example. I listen to I listen to Opie and Anthony for years, and occasionally they go on these tangents of of making fun of people that are considered you know retarded or have special needs. And what I do is I don't view I don't call up and tell them that their pieces of shit. What I do is I just change the channel until the segment is over, or maybe I just don't listen that day. And you know what it is. We really have to accept the fact that not everything that's done is going to be agreeable with the general public. And with regards to the representation of women, I'm going to give you guys an interesting parallel. Women, women talk about body shaming, risk, misrepresentation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're all legitimate issues. But one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is that men have to deal with these issues as well. The only thing is that they're not acknowledged the same way. And I'll give you an example. Women have to deal with body shaming issues, whether it's a standard that's accepted by media, whether it's a standard that's accepted by modeling, whether it's a standard established by television. Women have to deal with this, but men have to deal with it too. Think about it. When you look at an underwear model on the cover of a magazine, He's not a guy that looks like a normal guy. He's a guy that's shredded with a six pack. You know how awkward it is if you're not that type of a dude with that type of a body and you got to buy a pair of underwear and you got this guy's junk staring you in the face. It's the same thing. You know, it's it's weird to me because we men men deal with a lot of this shit, too. The only problem is that we don't address it. We don't talk about it, but we got to deal with body shaming issues as well. It's like what they showed. There's a there's a meme that's on Facebook and on a lot of different places that shows women compared to Barbie and men get compared to He-Man. And this is true. I want to give you guys a great example. If you saw the latest ESPN bodies issue, you know that ESPN's body bodies issue focuses on, on the athletic form and the athletic human body. And there's various types of, 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 of athletes that are naked. You know, guys like David Beckham, uh, women like Ronda Rousey, uh, Serena Williams, etc., etc. So in the last bodies issue, Prince Fielder was naked in the bodies issue. Now, the funny thing about it was that Prince Fielder in the bodies issue being naked was viewed as, as terrible. They're like, yo, Prince Fielder needs to go and take some, put some clothes on. And it just, it, it bothered me because here you have a guy who's an incredible baseball player and sure, he doesn't have a six pack and he's not shredded, but he's a barrel chested throwback to, to the, to the Babe Ruth era of baseball players. And that guy legitimately got body shamed. And it was crazy to me because it was on the front page of Yahoo Sports. And I looked at Prince Fielder and I said, Prince Fielder naked. I'm sorry. You know, I hate to give you guys this visual. Prince Fielder naked is me naked. You know, that's 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 pretty much it. Like, I genuinely felt sympathy that this guy got body shamed. Thank you, Slick, for sharing it. It was horrifying to me that that this guy who's an incredible athlete was dealing with those same pressures and nobody was talking about it the same way. And this is what I'm saying. Like what what Anita Sarkissian is talking about is understandable and it's something that needs to be addressed. And I have no issue with her approach and how she does it because you either listen to it and agree or you don't listen to it and move on. My big issue comes from the fact that people are genuinely emailing this woman and messaging this woman, talking about killing her, setting her house on fire, rape. You are genuinely threatening a woman with rape on the Internet. What is wrong with you? 
What is wrong with people as as a fucking society? I understand that you know we're we're brash, we're cruel, we say terrible things. I'll be honest with you. I went and, and I'm going to share the story with you, and and whatever you can you can think of me as a terrible human being or not. So I, I've spoken I've spoken about being being adopted. I've talked about this on numerous numerous occasions. And if you don't know now, you know. But in any event, you know I was adopted. I found out I was adopted when I was 14 years old, and um. I am one of, I believe, six or seven siblings. So over the last couple of years, I've been reconnecting with some of my siblings. And, you know, some of them, some of my siblings are in different places. Some of them are, some of them I've, I've actually spoken to, some of them I haven't. But uh, the interesting thing is that they, that most of them keep a close relationship with my birth mother. Now, my issues with my birth mother, I'm not going to get super deep, but she gave me away six times, six times. She gave me away to six different people. And I was returned, uh, because I had colic, I had asthma, I had a whole bunch of shit. I was, I was a baby. So she gave me to my mother who, who ended up raising me. And here I am today. Anyway, the funny thing about it is that I talk to my siblings and they talk about, you know, their mother and it's just weird to me. So while, while searching on, on, while working on something for the show, I found out that my biological mother has a Google Plus page. And I saw her page, and there was a picture of her on the page. And whatever, I know what she's up to and what she's doing. And I started writing, I kid you not, knock on wood, let me die in this chair if I'm, te- if I'm telling a lie. I started writing, why aren't you dead yet? I kid you not. I started writing it. I wrote, I wrote why aren't you dead yet, quotation mark, quotation mark, exclamation point, exclamation point. And I said to myself as I wrote it, it feels really good to write that. And the reason I wrote it was because I heard that she is, um, you know, she's dealing with some health issues from what I hear. And uh, they're not good. You know, they're not good health issues. And I, I, you know, that that emotion that came up inside of me genuinely forced me to write this out. And I wrote it. I'm like, why aren't you dead yet? And I was about to hit enter because on Google Plus, you hit enter and you do what you got to do. And I stopped because I realized writing this here on this public forum is not going to accomplish anything. Success is the best revenge. I've never spoken to her. I never want to speak to her. And my siblings have been instructed that if they ever try to get me to be in the same vicinity as her or reach out to me with the premise of speaking to me and put her on the line, that I will disappear. I've done it before. I can disappear like this very easily. So in doing that, I realized that going online, going online and doing that, sure, it's therapeutic. It feels good. It feels good to take all that vitriol, all that venom that's inside of you and put it somewhere and hit enter. And then you validate yourself because you go, yeah, I fucking told you, but it's just words on a screen. It's nothing. And this is what bothers me with this particular instance with this lady. If you're not a fan of what she has to say, you can find ways to say you don't agree. Instead, oh, I'm going to kill you. You're really writing that you're going to kill this lady? You might be 12 years old. You might not even have hair on your nuts, and you're writing that you're going to go to some lady's house and rape her. Are you kidding me? Are you, are you insane? And this is the kind of shit we got to live with, and that's what bothers me. And, you know, I respect that Steve Jaros went on there and he said, listen, yeah, we've done some shitty stuff. We're not perfect, but we're trying to change. I respect that. 
I respect that. I respect Anita Sarkissian for going online and talking about what she feels and citing examples. You may not agree. You may not feel that she's delivering the message correctly. But you know what? At the end of the day, the shit has to get done. And either you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. No truer statement has ever been said on film. And this is fact. This is fact. You know, it's crazy. It is crazy. Anyway, Slick brought to my attention that he's on air on the line. I'm going to bring him in. We're going to go through the rest of the gaming news and bang this out. Let me bring him in. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? I don't know, bro. You tell me. You need a hug? Nah, dude. You know what it is? I, listen. Yeah, I'm just fucking. No, no, no. No, I'm glad you I'm glad you say that because you know what it is, dude? When you think about that, and I'll and I'll be a hundred percent honest, you know, my if if somebody told me this lady's dying, this lady being the person the person who shot me out of her womb, um, if they said, yo, this lady's dying, I would legitimately walk into wherever hospital she was and I would laugh. I'd laugh. I'd laugh. I and let you do that, no, no, no. You, you have to understand the level, my psyche, my psyche where it is, that's what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I always joke about that everybody has that, that, that inner scumbag and we keep it tempered by good deeds, charitable thoughts and pleasant experiences. But occasionally that dark side of you becomes a bigger part. You know, that's that that darker side becomes a bigger part of your personality and it eats away at you. And looking at my siblings and what they've experienced and what they've gone through and myself, I'm grateful that I was given away. I'm fucking grateful. Success is the best revenge. But the the more I I connect the dots and I start filling in all these gaps and, you know, about me as an individual and I see what they've endured, dude, I there there's no I have no empathy. You know how horrifying that is? You know how horrifying that is that that as a human being, I genuinely have a have a shutoff switch for my humanity. I kid you not. But you know what the what 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 keeps that in check? Everything else. Occasionally it has to come out. And and I understand you're like, you know, the conscious see the consciousness in you that said, "Do you need a hug?" or, "Dude, I wouldn't let you do that." That is the consciousness inside of you. But at, there are instances where yo you would shut that you as a human being uh, you would shut it off you you're you're different because you're made you're wired differently i know a lot of guys that are wired the right way you being one of them and you know everyone has a shut off switch for their empathy and humanity val is 100% right i'll give you a good example the uh, the guys from isis that behead reporters you are decapitating a human being on camera but your belief in your cause is so strong that you see nothing wrong with that. You understand what I'm saying? I had a discussion with somebody about that myself, and it's like, I don't see how, in any real context, that sits well with you, especially because unless you're some kind of, like, 10th-level fucking ninja or something, heads don't always come off in one swing. Exactly. That would disturb the shit out of me if Thank I you. tried to cut somebody's head off. And it was still connected to their body after a chop. Thank you. And that, and again, this is exactly, and Val said it, you know, you, you disconnect, you shut off. And, and, and I'm at, at that stage as a human being. And, and, you know, I come on air and I share this stuff with you guys, not because I feel that it's therapeutic. I mean, it is in essence, but because I'm sure there are many of us. Uh, in, in this audience and, and that listen in archive shows that feel this way for whatever reason about anything, you know, 
Like that's that's where we're at. And like I said, the whole the whole reason why we got to this conversation is because like I said, you can agree with you can disagree with someone, but your level of vitriol should not be to the point where you're threatening to kill, rape, maim, or some of the other terrible things that have been written. You know? No, I mean we all we all have that Descon one and it's a combination of what Val said that, you know, if you live in a war zone where you see all kinds of crazy shit, it's like the your level of humanity will probably go really, really low. But right. these but, people that are writing to her, right. they're, the, they're the keyboard warriors. Right. They're the people that, like, that, that kid who, you know, swatted his opponent online, and then when he's getting freaking... 25 years in prison, he's crying like a little bitch on a stage. Exactly. And this is... They're hardcore behind the keyboard. You see them in real life, they're little bitches. This is is something that is... I take take great pleasure in in acknowledging it because, like I said, it's... uh, Listen, a a woman sharing her views on, on sexism in video games is not enough. It does not warrant... That type of venom, that type of hatred, that type of vitriol, especially when it's really not with any sort of legitimate energy. You know what I mean? I can I can come in here tomorrow, turn on my mic, turn on my camera, record some of the worst things in the world, you know, and share them with the audience. And at the end of the day, they're not real because there's no emotion behind them. I can come I can I can go into this mic right now and say, Slick, you know, I fucking hate you. And there's no passion behind it. There's no real energy. It's not real. You get what I'm saying? So for somebody to legitimately write, I'm going to set your house on fire. I'm going to I'm going to rape you while your dog watches. Like, think about that. You're con- you're you're saying this with zero legitimate intention, but you think that you're gaining something. You get what I mean? You get what I mean? Like you're writing this down and you feel you're you're writing this down and you think that you feel validated? You think that your opinion is going to be remotely considered? Are you crazy? And and I can understand. I never Go ahead. I never understand the people whose reasoning is it's the internet. It's not real. No, no, no. Yes, the internet is a virtual space, but you are a real person typing real words into that virtual space. And that's what you do it in real life. Don't fucking do it on the internet. Exactly, and and that see, and that that's where my problem was with what I, with the story I shared. I was writing it, and I would say it in person, and I said writing this solves nothing because there's no real emotion behind it. It is words. It's words. They're hollow. You know what I mean? You could go and read the craziest 4chan thread or the craziest Facebook group thread, and they're just words. They're just shit thrown together. It's that it's that face to face. It's that walking up to it's it's walking up to a person who, who who you genuinely loathe and telling them I hate your guts. That's real power. Going on on a keyboard and 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 writing, you know, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna burn down your house. It it means nothing. It means nothing. It just shows that you are a baseless piece of shit that really has no thought of how you want to convey your message. It takes a real motherfucker. To drive a knife into someone's chest and look into their eyes while they die. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just talking about, like, cold shit. Like, you think that by writing on this poor woman's videos that you're going to shoot her or you're going to burn down her house, that you're eliciting anything? You 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 forget there the world can find your IP. The cops can find your IP. You know? People, you can be found. 
the words that you thought you were saying in jest can get you into deep shit. Deep shit. And that's that's what bothers me with this. It's it's just that it's not what she's saying. And I know that people agree or disagree with what she has to say, but people don't understand that what you're saying just is not human. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, I'm going to pour Drano on you, set you on fire and rape you while you're on fire. You know what I mean? Like, listen to that. Listen to it. You know what I mean? Like, like those aren't rational thoughts. No, they just put together the most outlandish shit they can think of. Exactly. It's insanity, my friend. It is insanity. And and, and it's funny. Val writes, I'm not supposed to find that funny, but I do. But see, you hear that, and that's exactly it. That is the reaction it elicits. But for a woman, you know, for, for a lady like this, it's fear. Because some of these messages that I've seen that they've shared on Polygon, Kotaku, The Verge, and it's like, yo, you live in X, I'll see you when you get home. Really? You know what I'm saying? Like, like that video bothered you that much, that much, that you're willing to do something that stupid. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I watched the video. I didn't particularly care for her words. Right. And, you know, I, I, you know, I had my own comments about it, which, you know, I just said that basically... She needs to look at it from a different perspective that, you know, like she she kept mentioning, like, for one thing, she kept mentioning Red Dead Revolver and how violent, violent women were treated. I'm like, but think about the time period the game takes place in. Yep, historically These accurate. actually happened. Yep. And I'm like, within context, it's, it's just trying to present a realistic picture of a time period. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give you something. Val Val said I'm convinced half of them were posted by her to drum up controversy. Everyone forgets that she's got some campaign to drum up money to get her documentary funded. You know what, Val? You might be right, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give you guys an interesting context. In in the 80s, and Slick Slick may may vouch for this too. Was it or was it not commonplace that you would be walking down the street ver- during the 80s and a guy would be whooping his wife, girlfriend or significant other's ass in the street? Was it not yeah, commonplace? No, no, but I mean, you it was just commonplace. Like you would see a dude slapping his chick around. Like in general in the general public. And yeah, I mean, you know, the cops would come and shit if it got crazy, but it did happen. Obviously it's not gonna happen now because there's a different caliber of stuff and now it just happens behind the scenes. But I remember in nineteen eighty seven walking down Westchester Avenue with my mother, a guy and his girl getting into it. She scratched his face and he decked her on Westchester Avenue. And I'm like, all right. You know, and all my mother said to me is, regardless of whatever happens, you never hit a woman, ever. You leave the room. And it's crazy because that's how shit went down. And, and again, you watch movies like Goodfellas, you watch, um, you know, Casino. Somebody, some girl, some woman is getting slapped around on the regular. That's the way shit was. And I'm not saying that you have to do it that way for historical accuracy, but we can also turn the blind eye to the fact that that's how shit went down. I'm not going to turn a blind exactly. eye. Exactly. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to the fact that when if you were Puerto Rican and you went into, you know, a white neighborhood, you were going to get called a spick. It happened. I'd never turned a blind eye to it. The shit went down. You know, black people can't can't talk about that they were never called, you know, nigger or coon or spook don't act like it never happened because it did jews can't ever act like they weren't persecuted etc 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 but things have changed 
Don't get me wrong. I mean, people are still persecuted now, but nobody's being persecuted in America. Genuinely. I mean, yeah, we're being persecuted economically, but nobody, we're not, we're not watching, you know, nobody in Nebraska is committing genocide against people that can, that live in Tennessee. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, you want to bring up Red Dead Revolver, you want to bring up that stuff, for, and, and you want to use that, that's understandable. But you also have to be aware of the fact that that's how shit was. You know? You're not going to do a movie about terrorists without terrorists. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to do a movie about Arab terrorists without Arab terrorists. That's what happens. That's what goes down. It's crazy, though. Like I said, the views aren't what, what I have the issue with. Because, again, it's the, it, freedom of speech. You want to go out on, on and say that, you know, Jesus rides a sparkly unicorn every sunrise? That's on you. Knock yourself out. It's people's, it's people's choice to agree or disagree. My biggest issue is with what is said about that. Like, we could have a difference of opinion without me threatening to, to shit on your kids and burn down your house. We could have that difference. It's like it goes back to the example of um, Resident Evil 5. Right. People made a big stink about a white guy in Africa killing a bunch of black people. Let, let's take it in a different direction. Let's say my ass is stuck in the middle of Germany and the zombie apocalypse happens. You're killing white people. That's what the fuck I'm going to be doing. You're going to be killing white people. Shooting a bunch of dead white people. Yep. Is it racial? No. It's a black dude surrounded by a bunch of white zombies trying to not fucking die. There you go. And, you know, it's funny. I like what Val says. Remember, she hasn't done any deep research. She just said, I don't like these tropes. Women aren't portrayed as strong. I need feminism. And, you know, I understand that. And sure, there's a there's a there's a gap with regards to strong female heroes. But again, there's you can have the intelligent discussions and you can be the vehicle of change for that. You know, you can talk about Samus Aran. You can talk about Nariko from Heavenly Sword. You can talk about Claire Redfield. You can talk, you know what I mean? Like, the, the, the strong female character exists. It's just not the majority. Even in the, even in the, in the Uncharted games, Drake's companions, that Drake's female companions were not women in danger all the time. You know, they were strong. They were independent. They, they, they were part of the narrative. Yes. There is a, 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 an, an, an under, a, you know, there's not an abundance of those individual characters. There's not. But the same could be said. There's not enough Hispanic heroes. There's not enough African-American superheroes. There's not enough um, Chinese superheroes. There's not enough, you know, Italian superheroes. You know what I mean? There's not enough of that. There's not enough uh, Puerto Rican video game characters. There's not enough Mexican superheroes. You know, like, I can go down a list of all the different things that we want to, to see that are never going to happen. And you want to know why? Because the same people that jump on their pulpit and they talk about wanting to see change are the same people that shit on it. The same people that want to see their nationalities represented will be the same individuals that will complain that Jean Grey is being portrayed by a Mexican girl in cosplay. You see I'm what I'm saying? I remember the name of this game that actually did see, predominantly um, feature Mexican characters and anybody that are, I think it was called Maximum Overdrive. I might be wrong on the name, but it just was an over-the-top, utterly ridiculous, like, third-person shooter. Right. Where <laughs> it was so bad it was laughable. Because it's like, you would pull off these ridiculous kills and, like, you would get, like, like um, 
I guess, you know, like, like titles, sort of like how when you pull off combos and kill an instinct. Right. But it was like, it would say shit like you blow somebody off with a grenade, it would say spicy moves, some dumb shit. Those okay. Like ridiculous things tied into Mexican culture. Right. Like, well, here's... here's sometimes a- it just doesn't pay to try to... <laughs> Well, here's something funny. Jay said it. 68% of gamers are male. Who do you think designers create the games targeting? And that's that's a valid point. It's the same thing when with comic books. I mean, there was a big thing about Milo's Manara and the cover of Spider-Woman that he did where she was, you know, in a position that looked incredibly sexual. But again, it's the same thing. Men are going to draw women the way they feel that they should be represented, the same way women draw men. You know, it's it, it again, it's the same thing I've said before. The same guys that will complain about the lack of certain characters are going to be the same guys that complain that Captain America is black or that Thor is a woman. Yet they'll complain when they get misrepresented. I, I hate to say it, dude. We live in a fucking society of fucking pussies. Accept shit for what it is. Oh, Thor's a woman. What the fuck, man? So what? Thor's not real. How about that? Not real. Oh, Spider-Man is black? Who cares? Spider-Man isn't real. I'm sure it'll change. Oh, Nick Fury's a black guy now. Great. Who cares? You understand what I'm saying? It's not changing anything. We live in a world where we're on the verge of Ebola coming to the United States, a fucking disease that should that's as primitive as fuck, and I'm going to be worried that Captain America's black? Are you kidding me? Fuck you. <laughs> Think about that. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Seriously. Oh, Captain America's black. What the fuck? So what? Why can't a black guy take the super soldier serum? The super soldier serum didn't say whites only on the fucking jar. Did it? No. Oh, Spider-Man can't be black. Oh, so let me get this straight. Spiders only bite white people. Is that what you're trying to tell me? (laughs) That's what you're telling me. The spider is going to pick objectively the white guy. Oh, okay. That's it. Right? Am I wrong? That's why there are only white people in the movie Arachnophobia. But but this is what I'm saying. Like, think about that. Doesn't make any sense, does it? No. Oh, oh, Heimdall can't be black. Were you there? Did you visit Asgard? Do you know any Asgardians? Do you? Do you know any Asgardians? Did you meet Sif and the Warriors 3? Let me know. Let me know if that bitch looked good or not. I need to know. You know, it's the same thing when people talk about what color Jesus is. Oh, Jesus was white. Oh, Jesus had olive skin. Do you know? Were you there? Did you meet him? Did you? Were you at the Last Supper? Did you serve the brisket while you were there? Did you pass the wine? Did you pass the salt? No, I you didn't. The, I had the chicken. There you go. You had the chicken. But that's what I'm saying. Nobody was there. It's like the fact that these people rely on these false ideals and these false ideologies. Yes, there's not enough women characters. There's not enough strong female characters. So what? Instead of complaining about it, do something about it. Kickstarter is a powerful thing. Make a game with a strong female character. Promote the shit out of it. Get it made. Right? It's like I say, people don't write anymore. People don't read anymore. Dude, don't talk about it. Be about it. Instead of giving me fucking problems, give me solutions. Simple as that. Anyway, let's move through some of this other stuff because we're approaching the 2 a.m. mark while I got you here. Um, Coming Soon reported that Mortal Kombat X will be hitting retailers April 14th, 2015 on the PS4, Xbox One, PS3, Xbox 360, and PS3. If you decide to pre-order, you will get Goro as a pre-order exclusive. This will be Goro's first appearance in the series in over eight years. Um, 
couple of things. First off, congrats on Mortal Kombat hitting its 10th installment. Um, it looks cool. I mean, you know, everybody has a love-hate relationship with Mortal Kombat. Take it for what it's worth. Um, seeing Goro return is kind of cool. Uh, where do you stand? I'm actually excited to see this game. And you know me, I'm I'm not really a, a Mortal Kombat fan, but the um, the previews from E3 were fantastic. Right. I would actually buy this game from the way it looks so far. It looks good, man. Um, you know, I think um, one of the things that gets me is the fact that these Mortal Kombat games with the next-gen graphics, they're really working hard to become better, just a, a, a welcome alternative to some of the others, you know? That's what I'm That's saying. What I'm I, saying. I, 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 oh. As much as I... Go ahead. Yeah, I was trying to log as into... As much as I had shit on the Injustice series, I feel like they put that much more work into making this new Mortal Kombat game. This is true. Um, you know, I uh, me personally, I felt th- that Mortal Kombat, the last game, even Injustice, the game showed an incredible leap forward in just giving us a different alternative to Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and Street Fighter and everything else. And in that respect, I did feel that there, you know, uh, Netherrealm is doing something right and it's giving us an alternative. And that's all we can ask for. Simple as that. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Like I said, mark April 14th on your calendars um, if you're interested in Mortal Kombat X. I want to switch gears a moment, and I want to talk about Resident Evil's return to uh, console, uh, the console promised land, so to speak, as Capcom announced that we're going to get Resident Evil Revelations 2, which is going to be released in an episodic series, much like uh, The Walking Dead. Um, you'll be able to play as Claire Redfield, and um, she will be the lead protagonist. The story for Resident Evil Revelations 2 is set between Resident Evil 4 and 5 in a detention facility on an abandoned island. Also, you're going to be able to utilize uh, the character of Moira Burton, who is the daughter of Barry Burton as well. So you're going to have two characters at play and you're going to be working with them in tandem. Like I said, uh, Resident Evil Revelations is going to be an episodic game. The first game is scheduled for release in early 2015 on PS4, PS3, 360, Xbox One and Windows. How do you feel with Resident Evil hitting the uh, 90 seconds? The uh, episodic format. Uh, real quick before you answer, the My Take Radio feed on uh, Blog Talk Radio will go off air at approximately 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can continue listening by heading over to mtrlive.com. Our video feed is currently down, but we will be releasing uh, the video on our YouTube channel in the coming days. And of course, the reruns will be available on GFQ as well. Go ahead, man. 60 seconds. I feel like. Uh... When does season three of The Walking Dead start? October I mean, 12th. Honestly, you're going to do an episodic game of Resident Evil. Oh, wrong wrong date. I thought you meant Walking I, Dead the series, not the game. Sorry about that. Well, the, yeah, the TV is season five, but I'm talking about the game. Right. Because season two just wrapped uh, last last month. Right. But um, it's like you're doing an episodic game about Resident Evil. It's like... Honestly, I can't see it being all that great unless Telltale is doing it. Right. Because I haven't seen really anybody else do an episodic game very well. Right. At least not lately. So it's like... Ten seconds. Does anybody really care about... I mean, in general, the the people that are fans of Resident Evil, does anybody really care about the story? No. Not at this point. Resident Evil 
for the story. Right. We play it to, you know, just blow shit up. I agree. So an episodic Resident Evil game is kind of a dumb idea to me. I agree 100%. Well, I mean, the thing I is... I mean, it's a wait and see because it's not out yet, but... It sound like a great idea. I got a trailer for it, which I'm going to try and put up tonight. It looks promising. I mean, as long as the episodes are cheap, I'd give it a shot. I mean, Resident Evil has kind of lost its identity over the last couple of months. So, you know, I, I, I mean, the last couple of months, excuse me, the last couple of years. So I think going back to what it was, you know, the bread and butter, the genuine scares, the exploration, I think it's a step in the right direction. So I'm willing to give it a shot. I mean, I would, I would definitely try it out, especially you know, get a free copy. But um, <laughs> true. Um, I mean, anything can be a good game, so right. it, it would be worth trying out, giving it a shot. But like I said, I, I would, I would want to see that trailer, and I wouldn't have high hopes for it. No, definitely. I think, I think it's something that's definitely worth seeing. Um, while we're on the subject of releases, we got a release for Batman: Arkham Knight as well. Uh, it will be hitting retailers June second, twenty fifteen. PS four, Xbox One, and PC. You're going to get two collector's editions to choose from, including the limited edition and the Batmobile edition. Uh, both include their own unique statues. Obviously, with the Batmobile edition getting the Batmobile and the limited edition getting Batman. Of course, both include the custom art book, which is an eighty page full color art book showcasing the concept art of the game. Uh, you're going to get a limited edition steel book, limited edition DC Comics Batman Arkham Knight number zero comic book an exclusive character skin pack including three unique skins from dc comics new 52 and if you're interested you can pre-order it via amazon of course you can use the my take radio amazon store for that as well um a little bum that we're gonna have to wait pretty much till the summer to enjoy the game but you know what it's worth it if the game looks as good and performs as good as we've seen thus far small sacrifice to make Rocksteady has a fantastic track record with Batman. Yep. I just want to say, even though you just said it, the game comes out June 2nd, people. There's a lot of confusion in some of the groups I've been in over the past week because... Of the way the date was uh, portrayed. A lot of the ads that came out were, were like, European. Right. So it said 0206. Right. Remember, in Europe, they put the day first and then the month. Right. So that's why I said that. It's still June 2nd, not February 6th. Correct. So there you have it um, with regards to that. On the flip side, if you're looking forward to getting some NBA basketball, originally NBA Live 15 was going to be released head-to-head against NBA 2K, but EA has quietly decided to delay NBA Live 15 to October 28th versus releasing the game on October 7th, which is the same day as NBA 2K15. Um, There's no reason, EA hasn't given any reason for the delay or why the delay was implemented. Um, NBA 2K14 has had some great reviews. Um, NBA Live 14, of course, got shit on utterly. I think we've reached a point where EA's run as the top sports generated series, uh, as as the top generator of sports games is slowly starting to come to pass. I think that NBA 2K is leaps and bounds graphically and from a play standpoint ahead of NBA Live. And I think at this point, EA is playing catch up. And I think they're just scared of competing head to head because they don't want to have another scenario like they did with NBA Live 14 and 2K14 where people are like, yo, look at the comparisons between these two games. Look how shitty this looks. Yeah, because if they came out the same day, nobody would buy it. Yep. So it's it's insanity at its best. 
Um, Val says live has sucked since 2000. I don't disagree. NBA Live just is it. Let me tell you, I miss the days of Bulls versus Blazers on the Sega Genesis. <laughs> That's wow, what I miss. I I, Bulls versus Blazers and a little arch rivals for variety. That was it, man. When things were simpler. Not, you know, oh, you got to do the triangle offense and you got to post up. No, dude, you you found the sweet spot to drain threes with Michael Jordan. You knew the animations where you would get them to get the awesome dunks. You knew what teams to pick, how to do the substitutions. You knew that if you played Michael Jordan longer than 15 minutes, his, his energy would go down by half. Now it's just the fun isn't there, man. The simulation is great. The graphics are beautiful. But what I miss it's exactly that. Just the fun. Pick a team, go out there, and hope for the best. Can you? Can I tell you? I still play NBA Live. I mean, not NBA Live, uh, NBA Jam on Xbox Live that I got just to play. Just simpler, you know, just real simple basketball without as much, uh, you know, press seventeen buttons to get a shot in. It just, it's just not there. Oh, you gotta hit the, you gotta hit the button slightly to get the shot in. I actually still have NBA 2K3 on Dreamcast, Val. Maybe I'll stream that this weekend. You just gave me a good idea. But dude, it, it's just, it's gone. A lot of sports games just like they, they're going so hard to to be realistic that they're taking away the fun. I, I feel that way about the wrestling games. I mean, they look fantastic, but the the days where you just you know, you hold, you either tap or hold Ada to light a strong grapple, and you do you do a move by pushing up and A in, a, in another direction or something. It's like it was simple, but it, it fucking worked. You know and what you I do? All this other shit, guard and yep. fucking block and reverse, and it's like fuck. Well, you know what's funny? I I, I was playing NBA Street a couple of days ago because I had it on PS2, and it was and NBA Street was probably EA Basketball at its best that was it like that's what it was like nba street like i said going back and jumping into the time machine bulls versus blazers um wayne gretzky hockey on genesis because the nhl hockey game that just came out doesn't have online you know what i mean like there's so many different things that that we remember from the old days the simplicity but you know what the problem is too for all of us that are hoping for simplicity if the game comes out and it played that simple people would still complain too there you go fuck this game man just fucking hit one button to shoot this is bullshit buster douglas boxing on the genesis yes with the fake Mike Tyson, and you can hit people with the forearm when you press the C button. Ah, oh, come on. Jay says, studies have shown diehard sports gamers prefer the simulation rather than the pickup and play. You know what's weird? And I'll give Jay that. I'll give Jay that because Madden, if Madden were an arcade game, I would hate to play it. Like Madden, I don't mind playing Madden, you know, that Madden, but nothing beats NFL 2K. NFL 2K was top of the fucking food chain. As much as Madden tries to get better, NFL 2K was the fucking shit, period. I stand by that still, that Madden. Um, anyway, let me switch gears. Let's talk about Destiny and the fact that it sold $500 million worth of copies to retail stores and first parties worldwide on the first day fucking huge i mean brand new ip it launched with eleven thousand midnight openings worldwide i mean it's it's great man this is a the hearing that made me incredibly happy just as a gamer because i said wow people still get excited for shit like this like motherfuckers are still going out there at midnight to buy the shit like my facebook feed was full of dudes yo man look at my copy of destiny at fucking 2 a.m these are genuine genuine guys that got real jobs They're like yo man i'm fucking hyped 
and it made me feel good. Like, like that's what I love about like being a fan and being part of this because I still like the fact that some of us, you know, that are older and quote unquote responsible adults are still sitting there unwrapping the package of a game with the excitement of a kid at Christmas. Yeah, hey, the only beef I have with Destiny really is like I'm not feeling these online only games. It's it's weird because I mean, go ahead, go ahead, like no, 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 go ahead. No, I'm you. saying it's like you have, like you mentioned, at two a.m. If I'm up at two a.m., the people I want to play with they ain't up, so I gotta be online and deal with freaking asshole eight year olds. Or if my internet happens to be down today, I can't fucking play Destiny. Well, Destiny also, from what I hear, has a single-player campaign. I haven't picked it up yet, but the jo- the fun of the game is working collectively for some of the cooler stuff. I mean, that's great, and I and I like that. I have no problem with, play- with playing a team-based game. It's just a matter of making sure to find a group of people to play the game with. And it's crazy because I know so many people that have picked it up on Xbox One and just as many people picked it up on PS4. It's insane. And everybody's like, yo, who's on your team? Did you, you know, you want to be on my team? And it's pretty fucking awesome. I just think that... The, uh, you know, whether regardless of how I feel about the game as a whole, seeing that level of, of success and that level of excitement just makes me happy that we're still getting those moments, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, the game looks fantastic. There's oh, it's fucking no beautiful. That, that it deserves the praise that it's getting. It's personally not for me, but I, I have no, nothing against anybody who's loving that game right now. So... I want to talk about one of your game, favorite games, Watch Dogs. And uh, the Wii U version finally hits consoles November 18th. That's a damn shame. Yep, but you know what's funny? The Wii U ver- It's not getting the DLC, is it? The Wii U version of the game will feature Wii U specific features using the Wii U's hardware. A detailed interactive map of Chicago will be displayed on the Wii U gamepad. Additionally, the Wii U version of Watch Dogs will feature off TV play, which will allow players to continue playing the game away from the console. Um, at what they didn't say if the DLC is available. I mean, it's kind of cool, and I'm glad that they've added like Wii U exclusive stuff. But it's like, holy shit, you waited how long to drop that game? How long? Crazy. I hope the, the Wii U blows up and then Nintendo's like, fuck you, Ubisoft, we don't want your games. Pretty much. I just figured I'd throw that out there. On, on the flip side, get this, the Hulkamania edition of WWE 2K15 that I mentioned a few weeks back allegedly is sold out domestically. And the game is also seeing strong pre-order sales in Europe, and it hasn't even come out yet. How crazy is that? Well, how many pieces of that mat can they possibly chop up? Yeah, well, there you go. But yeah, it looks like it's going to be another winner for the WWE at this point. I'm sure CM Punk is going to love the fact that he's not going to get all the money for his likeness in that game. Just saying. <laughs> well, across the boss, you know right. they say. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel for him, honestly, but I mean, it is what it is. So, they're going to do, go ahead. As, the, as the adage goes, they're going to do what's best for business. Yeah, no pun intended there. It's, it's 100% true. I want to want to switch gears um, to bring it home with uh, one particular story, and it's the the rumor that Microsoft wants to buy Minecraft creator Mojang. So um, very interesting. I think that Microsoft picking up these developers and bringing them in house is is a very very big deal, um, especially for a, a game like Minecraft, which is just so universally loved by various gamers. Um, obviously, it's still a rumor; it's not a hundred percent official, but 
I kind of have to give Microsoft the credit for just going out there and being ballsy, like, yep, we're going to start scooping up fucking developers. Fuck you guys. Well, if they're going to scoop up developers, let's hope they actually do something good with them, unlike what they did with Rare. Absolutely. It's just it's just very interesting with, with, with that kind of stuff. And um, let me answer Jay's question. Jay asked about uh, Marvel, Disney, Infinity pre-orders. Um, Jay, from what I hear, they're going pretty strong. Um... I recommend that if you're going to do it, if there's any particular characters you want to grab, you get on it. Um, They're releasing Guardians of the Galaxy, Big Hero 6, and some of the Marvel characters in addition. So just uh, make sure you get some sort of a pre-order in for that. And if you're looking for any particular characters, you're going to have to definitely step your game up. So if you are looking for that, there's the uh, the information. As for what you were saying with Minecraft and, and what they did with Rare, it's true. I mean, Microsoft definitely has got to do something with it, but it's just crazy that Microsoft is like, yeah, we're, we may just buy this developer. You know, like that's the, like not even thinking about it's it. It's like you may buy them and what are you going to do with them? Right. I think that they just want to... Like lo- you're, you're scooping up developers because you're scared because the PS4 is kicking your ass. That's that's part of the reason, and I think they just want to lock up some of those more marquee titles like Minecraft. So um, very interesting to to say the least. Um, with regards to something that you brought to my attention last night, I did get the latest MPD numbers, and I want to talk about Xbox selling twenty three thousand five hundred and sixty two units in its first week in the Japanese market. Um, less than half the number of Xbox 360 units sold in Japan, according to Famitsu. Uh, The console's launch is considered the lowest in sales of any system in recent years, placing below both the Wii U and PlayStation 4 during the first two days of their respective launches. By comparison, according to what they've said, the Wii U saw sales units of 308,000 during the first two days of launch, while PS4 saw 322,000 units. Uh, Xbox 360, when it launched, launched with 62,000 units in the first half, and it took... Uh, half the time for the Xbox One to sell over 20,000 units. Um, it's funny because it launched in Japan September 6th um, with 29 titles, including Killer Instinct, Dead Rising 3, Titanfall, and a list of other games. Um, you brought this to my attention. MPD, of course, dropped some numbers. But I wanted to talk to you about this because I feel that Xbox's is lack of success in Japan, I think, is just primarily due to the fact that it is an American-made machine. I hate to admit it, but I these are just, agree there. you know, I feel that these are the bias, you know, these are those bias issues that people just don't want to realize are the elephant in the room. You know, these, these are the facts you know, Nintendo and Sony Japanese systems made by Japanese companies released in Japan. Obviously they're going to be, be um, they're going to be loved and, 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 you know, adorned by by people in their home country if you remember remember when xbox was launch xbox 360 was launching in japan and they figured let's launch with some rpgs and they launched blue dragon do you remember that yeah, it still didn't do it. and it didn't exactly. do shit i mean it still didn't do as well as they expected they, right they thought that people would jump on it because people jumped on it in the u.s and i'm like just like you said it's a u.s company yep plus when they launched they had, you know, the 360 had a better launch library than any other console of that generation. Correct. Even though ultimately the PS3 topped them, they had the best launch library. Right. The launch library for the Xbox One is bullshit. I'm sorry. I mean, they do have their own game, but it's like Dead Rising 3, okay, that's a good game. Rise didn't live up to expectations, and... 
Killer Instinct was free to play, but you got like two characters at the time. Right. But this is it's just interesting because everybody looks at these numbers and all of and they're automatically ready to to chomp at the bit about the numbers. And what people are failing to realize is just the fact that, hey, this this isn't succeeding, not because there's not games. It's just not succeeding because the Japanese don't want to give us money. Well, it's it's that and it's because of a lack of games, because the launch lineup for the Xbox One is weak. And especially it's weak for the Japanese. I mean, you look at, you know, PS2 and PS3 and, like, Wii sales and stuff, and some of the biggest games are simple shit like Mahjong. Right. And, you know, you're not going to have those Japanese, those strictly Japanese titles on the Xbox One. Right. It's it's strange. It's strange so to me. There's not as much interest. Oh yeah, I mean, you know what it is. It's very easy for people to just jump on that. I just wanted to kind of dig a little deeper because, like I said, it's easy to just say, "Oh, they only sold twenty thousand units," but there's more to it, and it's the elephant in the room. Nobody's gonna say no. You know, Japanese fans aren't gonna say, "Hey, we don't want to buy this because we don't want to give money to American companies." They just are not gonna buy it. Exactly. Simple as that. But on the domestic side of things, um, I want to talk MPD numbers. MPD numbers for the month of August. I just want to go into the following. First up, um, console sales have been pretty good, uh, but Xbox 360, PS3, and Wii did see a bit of a drop. Hardware sales did grow um, by over 200%, thanks obviously to Xbox One, PS4, and the Wii U. Of course, the PS4 continues to be number one in hardware sales for the eighth consecutive month and remains the cumulative leader for next-gen consoles. Now, I want to talk about the games, the, uh, the top 10 games, for the month of August, uh, number 10, uh, the Lego Movie video game, Xbox 360, 3DS, PS3, Wii U, PS4, Xbox One, PS Vita. Battlefield 4 was number 9. Watch Dogs was number 8. Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare was number 7. Lego Marvel Super Heroes was 6. Call of Duty Ghost was number 5. The Last of Us was number 4. Minecraft wow. on the 360 and PS3 was number 3. What game do you think was number two? Titanfall? Nope. Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls. PS4, Xbox One, 360, PS3, and PC. Crazy, Makes right? Sense. Now, the number one game, it's August. What is it going to be? That Madden. Very good. Number one selling game for the month of August. Physical, physical copies, retail only, PS4, Xbox One, 360, and PS3. I think that companies really should realize that August just belongs to EA and stop playing themselves. Like you, you like you should know at this point you're always going to be number 2. Sorry to say, these are the facts. And then in, in September the sales from Madden completely drop off. Completely. Well, this is how they go. It's football in August, which will take you into September, then basketball in October. That's Pretty it. Much. So, you know, other than that, that um that actually wraps up the, the gaming stuff for this week. There's anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, um, just basically that as much as I, I was saying that it wasn't as bad of a, a game drought this summer as it had been in past years, September looks crazy because, I mean, you have obviously Destiny came out, which, you know, everybody's playing. Gauntlet is coming out. The next Dark Souls 2 expansion pack is coming out. And there's a an indie title which anybody who has a Wii U or a PS3 should definitely be checking out. It's called Tesla Grad, 
Okay. It's um, got like sort of um, it's sort of like a mix of uh, a Mega Man and Metroid style game with the types of weapons that you have. Right. It's, you know about a little kid in Russia and he, he finds all these like magnetic based weapons. Uh, like you can definitely check out the trailer or you know like on YouTube and stuff. It's been out for PC for a while, but it's coming. It came to the Wii yesterday, and it's coming to the PS3. There's no set date, but they're still saying it. It's set for September. Okay. And that, when it hits PS3, I'm definitely going to check it out. I would get it for the Wii, but the fact that it's, you know, I don't see anything that's saying, like, there's any specific Wii U features for the, the tablet. Right. It's, just, it's probably just going to use the, the regular controller. So... I'll, I'll probably pick it up for PS3, and that's definitely a game I think people who have either the Wii U or the PS3 should check out. And, nice. Um, other than that, fighting game fanatics should probably check out Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, which comes out on September 30th. Um, and then, of course, again, people who have the Wii U, if you live in New York, there's the special edition of Hyrule Warriors coming to Nintendo World on the 26th. And okay. I think the only thing that's really special about it is, other than it coming in a box, it comes with Link's scarf. I'm like, really? They're supposed to stand online in the middle of Manhattan <laughs> for a fucking scarf? <laughs> well played. It's like, really, Nintendo? You, you've done better than that. Makes sense. I um I played I played the uh Hyrule Warriors. I actually liked it. I said to myself, shit, that's another game on the list that makes me want to pick up a Wii U. So we are we are at three already. So I think uh come the holidays I mean I may need to pick up a Wii U. I'm gonna say, dude, at this point it's September. Wait for a freaking Black Friday deal. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, the holidays will come, I'll probably pick one up then. Even though, you know, Smash Brothers is coming, it's coming for the three D S in October and right. But you know, wait for at this point anybody wanting a Wii U should probably wait for a Black Friday deal. I agree. But um, at that point, people should really get ready to be waiting online for it because a lot of the games coming out, people are going to start going crazy for. Like Bayonetta two comes out next month. Um, I'm sure there's other games. But I'm looking through a list right now, but I think the biggest thing for next month right now is probably. Um, the Assassin's Creed games, and hopefully those are the right. Hopefully that is the case. All right. Personally, I I'm more interested in the the PS3 one where your character is actually killing other assassins yeah. versus the the um the PS4 one where you're playing team assassins. I'm like, I mean, the whole concept was, was that they used to you know work alone. So well, if you play as a team. Seems a little weird to me. Well, it, th- that that was the same concept they used in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, and it was very Brotherhood is probably one of the, considered one of the best games. I'm not up to Brotherhood, so I'll have to get back to you on that one. There you go. I fi- I figured, so I'll let I'll let you rock with that. Anything else you want to add? Um, no, I probably will. Like I said, pick up Tesseract, and I'll try to get a review up for that when it comes out on the PS2. Sounds good, buddy. All right, bro. I'll Thank see you. how much it costs, and I might pick it up for Wii because I know that it's already out I'm here as of yesterday. Nice. All right, man. Keep me posted. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Peace. Peace. All right, so we had a uh, lively game discussion this week. Um, I can only I can only imagine how how much more lively it will get. Um, for next week's episode but in any event let's uh sprint to the finish get into this week's entertainment news and get the ball rolling shall we 
let's get into the week's entertainment news and wrap things up for this week. Um, AMC has ordered the companion series for The Walking Dead. Uh, this series will be produced by Robert Kirkman, Gail Ann Hurd, and will be taking place in conjunction with the sa- with the main series, just from another perspective. Um, you know, there are many corners of The Walking Dead universe that have remained unseen, and they're going to shine a light on other parts of the walking dead universe. So according to what they're saying, this companion series will be running in tandem with the regular walking dead. It's just going to show how the zombie apocalypse is affecting other areas of the world. I mean, the concept definitely looks very cool. Uh, the project is expected to begin later this year. Of course, season five of the walking dead will be premiering October 12th. So a couple of weeks back, we were talking about the new upcoming Terminator film called Terminator Genesis. Well, even though that film has not hit theaters, we are going to be getting a second and third film as well. Uh, The sequel is going to be hitting May 19th, 2017. And then um, the next sequel will follow June 29th, 2018. Of course, Terminator Genesis arrives in theaters July 1st, 2015. So, there you have it. The second film is opening the week before the Lego Movie 2. And, of course, the 2018 film is going to open alongside an unyet, un, an unyet untitled, excuse me, a Pixar untitled film that has not been revealed as of yet. Terminator Genesis stars uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Clark, Amelia Clark, Jai Courtney, J.K. Simmons, Dio Akenyi, Byung-Hun Lee, and Matt Smith. The film will be directed by Alan Taylor and like I said, we'll be hitting theaters July, uh, let me write that down, July 1st, 2015. So there you have it. If you're a Terminator fan, that is when the new trilogy will begin. So box office totals with zero competition these last two weeks. Guardians of the Galaxy remained at number one, earning an additional $10 million, bringing its total to 296 In the number two slot was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number three was If I Stay. Let's Be Cops was number four. November Man was number five. As Above, So Below was number six. You can check out our review for that on RageWorks.net. Number seven, When the Game Stands Tall. Number eight was The Giver. Number nine was The Hundred Foot Journey. And number ten was Lucy. So there you have it, a pretty quiet week at the box office and i think it's going to remain quiet until october of course there are some films coming out but nothing is going to set the theaters on fire like guardians of the galaxy i think until november when the next hunger games comes out but who knows i mean there may be some stuff in between then but i think it's going to be the hunger games that's going to start generating those really crazy blockbuster numbers i mean october is going to have dracula untold which i want to see Um, But I doubt it's going to be something that's going to really set the theater on fire like Guardians of the Galaxy. But again, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Marvel fans were saddened to hear that Robert Downey Jr. is not in any sort of is not planning to do a fourth Iron Man film. When asked about it in an interview with Variety, he said that there isn't a film in the pipe. No, there's no plan for a fourth Iron Man film. Um, you know, it's weird because obviously we're going to see Tony Stark in the Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers 3, um, but as of right now, there is no fourth Iron Man film being considered. So take that for what it's worth, even though it's, you know, I'm bummed out, but 
I think, you know, I think Robert Downey Jr. is pretty much done everything he can with the solo Iron Man films to remain interesting. So adding him in the Avengers, uh, you know, helping lightening the load a little bit, I think will keep Robert Downey Jr. involved and it'll just, you know, take the focus away from him a little bit. Like I said, he's doing Age of Ultron and Avengers 3, and I think that should be it for the time being. So, there you have it. Anyway, a film that I'm going to talk about right now is getting a sequel on the small screen, and that is Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. How crazy is this? Um, According to what they're going to be doing, they're going to be doing a sequel, which will be a television series. Uh, The series will be set in 2064, and will follow one of two male precogs freed in the Minority Report. And this precog is attempting to live a normal life. But that changes when he teams up with a female detective who has a chance to put the precog's abilities to to good use. So definitely very interesting turn of events with the Minority Report uh, getting a quote-unquote sequel, but it's going to be adapted for the small screen. I'm curious to see how they pull that off, considering that the Minority Report is a film that nobody's talked about since 2002, and the only time that it's referenced is when we talk about future technology. So I'm curious to see how that's going to be brought to pass and what they're going to do with it. But in either case, uh, Minority Report is getting a sequel, and it is heading to uh, the television. It's heading to the small screen as a TV series. So if we get more news with regards to leads and casting we will definitely share it with you guys as well on the dc side of things last week and the week prior we kind of alluded to a supergirl tv series heading to the cw well it looks like it is going to happen and it may actually exist within the arrow and flash universe uh greg berlanti who many of you know from arrow and the flash is working with ali adler on the show And it looks like it still may be happening with regards to whether it will exist in Arrow or the Flash's universe is something that as of right now remains to be seen. They're saying that the CW did pass on the show, but it also hasn't been offered to any other networks as of yet. So who knows? We may may still see it on the CW, but right now it's only being discussed and there's nothing crazy that has been Uh, established for a Supergirl TV series other than rumors and speculation. But once we start getting more concrete stuff, we will definitely share it with you guys. In some sequel news, and this should come as a shock to nobody whatsoever, Sony Pictures is going to be cranking out another 21 Jump Street. In this case, 23 Jump Street. Uh, Right now, um, Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum, and Neil Moritz are going to be overseeing the script. And um, they're trying to see if Phil Lord and Chris Miller will return to direct the film. 22 Jump Street brought in $320 million on a $50 million budget. So there you have it. It's fucking crazy that we are actually considering another 21 Jump Street film. In some other sequel news, it looks like we are going to get uh, the what's considered the last entry in Sylvester Stallone's Rambo series, and it has been titled Rambo Last Blood. Sylvester Stallone will be directing the film, and obviously this will be the first time we see Rambo back on screen since 2008's Rambo film, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, that film brought in $113 million on a $50 million budget. Uh, looking forward to seeing what they do with Rambo's character and how they close out the story. 
Again, Rambo, Last Blood will probably be the last entry in in Sylvester Stallone's iconic Rambo series. All right, so I, I last bit of news to wrap things up is uh, some very sad news, and it involves the passing of Richard Keel. Uh, many of you that are James Bond fans like myself will obviously know Richard Keel from the James Bond 007 films, uh, usually alongside Roger Moore. He appeared in The Spy Who Loved Me and in Moonraker, but if you're not a Bond fan, you may have seen Richard Keel in Adam Sandler's Happy Gilmore. Um, I'm sad to report that he passed away at the age of 74. Um, like I said, he um, it was weird because they were saying that he went into the hospital for a broken leg, and then while he was in the hospital, he passed away. They didn't, they haven't released if the, he passed away due to complications from the broken leg. But um, our condolences, obviously, to Mr. Keel's family um, and friends. Uh, like I said, I watch, I'm a huge James Bond fan. I love the Jaws character. Uh, Moonraker and The Spy Who Loved Me were probably my favorite Roger Moore 007 film. So to read about his passing definitely bummed me out. But I, I definitely can take solace in the fact that he was one of the most iconic Bond villains in history. I think people th- people think of Jaws before they think of characters like Odd Job or Goldfinger, just because he was such an iconic character. But in any event, our condolences to Mr. Keel's family. All right. So with that said, that is going to wrap up the entertainment segment. Plus, it is also going to wrap up this week's episode of My Take Radio. So let's close things out. A couple of things uh, before we take it away. Uh, First and foremost, make sure that if you want to keep up with all the latest reviews, uh, columns, features, everything regarding MMA, pro wrestling, gaming, entertainment, technology, you name it, we are definitely uh, the driving force in the pop culture machine. Head over to RageWorks.net. You'll be able to find past archives of My Take Radio there, along with all the other shows that are going to be part of the RageWorks Radio Network, including My Take Radio Behind the Mic, My Take Radio Beyond the Mic, and The Buried Show, and maybe some other shows that will be coming up as well. As always, you can find My Take Radio on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and you can also watch our videos on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash TV. As always, My Take Radio airs live starting next week, Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. To learn more about RageWorks, like I said, you can head over to RageWorks.net. You can head over to Facebook.com, Official RageWorks. Follow us on Twitter, Rage underscore Works. Follow our boards on Pinterest. You can also find us on Google+. And you can subscribe on YouTube to the RageWorks channel as well. On behalf of myself, Slick, Jay Santi, Quark, Blade, Ben, Andrea, Josh, and the rest of the MTR and RageWorks family, I will catch you guys next week. As always, thank you for your continued support. Uh, Video for this episode will be released on YouTube later on today. And archives, you'll be able to find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and any of the other podcast providers as well. If you want the best My Take Radio experience, though, make sure to pick up the official My Take Radio app for $1.99, available for Android, iOS, and Windows mobile devices. For Android, make sure to head to the Amazon Android Store, For Windows, obviously, the Windows Marketplace. And for iOS, good old iTunes. 
All right, guys. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. I think our outro music this week, we're going to go with something new, and it is going to be Streets of Rage, Streets of Rave, Fighting in the Street by Amphibious, available in ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. Thank you.